This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast, everybody. And welcome to the Christmas issue with my great friend, Finkel Ferguson. Before we get into it, we got to take care of a little bit of business. You know what I'm saying? First things first, I am prepared for the new year. I can't wait for 2022. And what I'm doing is I'm cleaning up my shop. I'm cleaning up my shop because I want to start in on a good note. And what I want you to do is start in on a good note for 2022 and fix up your stuff. And one of the things you can fix up is your website. Your website's not making it. You made all this money now, Christmas time, holiday season, you made a little extra money. Invest in yourself and invest in your website. If you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and fill out the paperwork, Andreas Kalani will get you squared away. He gets you a good new, he'll fix your website up. He will get you a new logo. He will get you squared away. If you don't have a website, It'll give you a website. It's definitely worth it. And you should really, you know, let's all step on the right foot for 2022 because, you know, everybody needs to and it's just the way to go. So get yourself a new website. Next thing is Axwax. Axwax.us, promo code FULLBLAST10 will get you 10% off your order. Get yourself some all-natural food-safe wax for your axe, for your wood, for your hammers, for your knives. And if you're not a maker and you're just like, well, I don't even have any of that. Well, if you have some old knives in your kitchen drawer, or maybe your leather boots or maybe a leather bag or leather belt. You need a little bit of conditioning. Axe wax is perfect for that. It's all natural food safe. And here's a little trick. Get a little axe wax, smear it on, get a heat gun. And then if you melt the heat, you do a little heat gun over that wax, it melts in the little crevices, gets you squared away. So go to axewax.us, promo code FULLBLAST10. Now, if you're in the UK... Toby Morell is spot, is uh, accepting Full Blast 10. You go to uh, UK Knife Maker Supply, knifemakersupplies.com, and he's honoring Full Blast, which I appreciate. In Australia, go to nordicedge.com.au. Nordic, my bad. I apologize. No, I was right. Nordicedge.com.au, and they will accept Full Blast 10 for 10% off. And now, my buddy Keith Colby. In Austria, that's if you're in the if you're in the EU, you go to knifematerial.at, knifematerial.at. He's got awesome G10. He sent me some really nice a yellow G10 PS. Love it, Keith. And he is accepting um, promo code full blast ten if you want to get yourself some axe wax. So knifemakersupply.com, uh, Nordic Ice, oh, got vault, NordicEdge.com.au, and knife materials.at thanks again guys I really appreciate it Axwax is global ladies and germs Axwax is global and then I Christmas came early for me it came early for me like almost a couple minutes ago I got a package from Trojan Horse Forge and then they sent me something that I'm like stupefied by. It's the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice. I know a lot of you knife makers listening to this podcast are saying knife vice. I know all about it. You don't know about this knife vice. The Stable Rail Knife Vice is so interesting because you think in your mind a knife vice is just for sanding the handles. Well, that's not the case for this. Not only can you put it in, put your blade in uh, safely with rubber backings and aluminum plates and all these beautiful screws and stuff, they have these special uh, attachment plates, and the attachment plates allow you to hand sand 
all your blades. You can hand sand a flat blade. You can hand sand a, a blade with a distal taper, and it'll adjust so it supports the blade. If you have an integral knife, it will move out so it uh, it holds where it'll kind of support your blade and give you room for your integral bolster. If you have a kirkery or a uh, or a curved blade, it adjusts so you can kind of curve you can curve the plate and then you can hand sand a curved blade. I tell you what, I am so impressed why this they sent in this bomb proof box and it's beautiful and they laser engrave my name and it is a beautiful beautiful vice for the handle and for the regular hand sanding so get off those two by fours you're fooling around stop with the two by fours already it's a pain in the ass this is the one shop vice it's awesome and what i want you to do is i want you to go to uh trojan horseforge.com they have some available every so often but what they'll do is if they're out of stock which they normally are because these things are like hot ticket items you can sign up for their newsletter and then the newsletter will tell you when the next batch will be done and then when you're getting close to when they're done they'll send you a pre-order form and you get on that and get yourself one of these because these things are awesome i mean i'm i'm not just saying this because they sent it to me i it is like it's almost a little bit too nice for me Honestly, it's like it's everything I've ever wanted in a knife vice. Like now I can throw away all now I can burn all my two by fours, get rid of the regular vices. This is a really great thing. So go follow Trojan underscore horse underscore forge. Get yourself that stable rail knife vice and take a look at it because it's pretty awesome. I'm actually gonna link they have these YouTube videos on how to use it and it's pretty impressive. So thank you once again to uh Sam and Jeff. That was really, really cool and we're gonna be we're gonna be trying to move some of these vices because I appreciate everything you do. Okay, guys. <sighs> My friend Fingal Ferguson is here for Christmas because I like a Christmas show. I love radio and I love these weird, these weird, these weird ones. And and the holiday ones are always weird because radio guys usually take a break and they take everything off. I ain't doing any of that. So Fingal Ferguson's here. Yay! Yay for my, Christmas! My man, my man! <laughs> you, you can tow some chestnuts over your two by fours, <laughs> <laughs> dude. I listen. I don't mean to be go into it, but this thing is like really, really nice. It actually, like, I, I got, a, I saw your opening um, package opening thing on on Instagram just a moment ago, and yeah, it looks looks very clever. Actually, oh, looks geez, like a smart, a smart gadget. It is still totally smart, but it's the problem is, is it's not a problem, but they don't like promote the fact that it's like more than just a hand. Because when you think of a hand, a knife vice, I mean, this is a knife talk, by the way, everybody, yeah. this is a full blast podcast. You think that it's for like handles, but this is not for just handles. They have these plates that bolt on, and it is, it is a, it is a slick operation. Yeah, I love you, people you who think like out of the pro. box. I love people who think out of the box and throw something else into the equation and keep it open. I, tr- I what I try to do is with 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 uh, full blast and not to mention with uh, knife talk is we're really trying to we're trying to take on small co- you know we deal with people small companies mm-hmm. and I like working with these small companies and being like you know what we're all in this together so we we uh, we do our best to get them Axe Wax and, and Andreas Kalani I mean I sp- speak to these guys and and um, I talk to Sam from uh, Trojan Horf. Trojan Horse Forge and is these are good people and we're all in this together so uh I you know I am psyched about it. I love it. But I'm psyched about you. I'm psyched oh, about you. I love you too first. baby. <laughs> so I last time we spoke you sent me this amazing you sent me these sausages and you sent me this beautiful tea towel and you sent me this beautiful knife. The sausages, man. This chorizo was unbelievable. 
Well, it's a different twist, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've, I suppose I, I always kind of get conscious talking about my own food, but I'm, 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 I'm happy about them. You know, I think there's, it's, it's funny because they're, it's not really an Irish tradition. It's a European thing. And I've kind right. of grown up in that because my family's from everywhere. Um, I mean, on my mother's side. But uh, yeah, just over the years, it's just evolved into something that just has its original twist like I put onto everything, if I can. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can explain this to me because chorizo in the United States is kind of like more, there's a Mexican yeah, they, they, I think there's much more of a Mexican influence. I mean, of course, so much of this stems back to, to, to sort of Spain, I'd like to think, and Portugal. And of course, that's where, you know, so much influence is, is in the South America from there. Um, and I think that the the flavor profiles, but I mean, pimienton, uh, you know, the paprika, um, right. you know, the red pepper that's dried out, you know, is one of the main ingredients. Garlic being the, the backbone of, of everything. And, and then these other things that kind of wrap around those flavors. And then we have being a humid country, you know, we, we, we have the smoking tradition as well. Um, Spain, some parts of Spain smoke their food, some don't. Um, but you know, I, I, my love of Spain is, is like I mentioned before, is, is a, is a family thing, right. but one of the, it, it still is one of those amazing things about going up to visit my friends up in the mountains and just making some of this amazing food with a bag of salt and, and a knife and, and just the random things around you. I mean, you don't even need refrigeration. They use the time of the year to, to make everything magical. And I could go on for ages about these traditions, but please in, do we get, oh, this is I, the Christmas show. We can do whatever <laughs> the hell you want. Well, no, I, I won't. I, maybe if anything kind of stands out, let me know. But do you know what? The whole thing is is just the charcuterie, that using of, of the pig, the the whole thing of using everything. And and I suppose that the it's that fermentation and the twists that kind of make them stand out. And, um, and what I like about it is I grew up with cheese. And cheese and salami are just, you know, I mean, I'd love to say we make wine as well. But I, I think we'd only be able to make very expensive vinegar if we right. tried doing that in Ireland. But the, um, you know, so growing up with cheese... Um, I think I kind of fell in love with the challenge and salami is, is another one of those things. It's a fermentation. I mean, these things are bread and, and pickles and fermentations and all these things, you know, you, like I've mentioned before this, you just spend your life trying to, to perfect them. Just like we probably do with life making. There's just always something around the corner that teaches you something new that you kind of embrace and, and you're kind of proud of that. And it just, you keep getting fueled by the next thing that's going to teach you something. Hmm. And, um, and I think that, that's something that that I suppose. I mean, we've been doing. I've been making salami since I was in school. I literally, it was. I think when I was when I was a young when I was, I was probably kind of getting close to my twenties when I probably started doing it to sell it. But it was it was more like a, a sort of a thing I did for fun um, because we had pigs in the farm. We'd have pork in the freezer. A friend, you know, uh, when I used to drive back and forth with our cheeses to a friend of ours who I mentioned before, Chris Jepson, who used to smoke the cheese for us, he would smoke some bacon for us and ham and um, we would barter with him. And, and do you know what? I think that that's you know the irish always love the loins and the legs because there's bacon and ham and it's you know the backbone yeah. of irish kind of diet but i think what you do with the rest of the cuts and i think the salami was the was the fancy thing to do i mean sausage you know sausage isn't that much of a challenge in many ways i mean good sausage is a challenge to be consistent but i think i made it a couple of times and like anything if you get it right the first couple of times but you can see the the challenge in it. You you kind of keep chasing that, and um, and yeah, I, I think that it was also that point where you realise that um, I suppose the Irish appetite was kind of interested for something new. You know, that there's there always that little thing around the corner. The Irish were kind of starting to travel more and kind of being fascinated by olives and sort of you know 
you know, if you go and look in a shopping basket, you know, a generation ago, it would have been staples, bread, milk, spuds, veg. And now yeah. there was just something else always being put in there, something new each time they went to the shop. So oh, I haven't tried that before. Let's give that a go. The curiosity was kicking in. And um, and I think that I was part of this wonderful thing with slow food, which my mum was very involved with. Um, slow food is um, have you heard of slow food sure of course yeah so I mean I had some great experiences going over with my mum she was governor of slow, of slow food in Ireland and um, so kind of getting to go with her on trips to to, to this, uh, Torino you know Torino in, in could you just uh, back up a second do yeah. you think you could just give a give a idea to the listener what is the concept behind slow foods slow food I think was I always felt like there was two sides to it the first side of slow food, I think, was there was very much there to um, educate people about why artisans do what they do and um, um, and also to highlight things that probably needed to be protected. You know, let's say Madagascar vanilla or or somebody who makes yak cheese in Tibet or um, coffee from a certain region of a part of the world or, um, you know, smoked um, reindeer meat from the most northern part of Scandinavia. You know, there was just these things that wouldn't be on the radar. These are companies that aren't trying to sell tons of food. Right. But yet people who are in love with food are fascinated by traditions or, or qualities or, or even like just that, you know, just the curiosity in general. So I think the the element of slow food was to educate people that these people exist and why they do it and, and probably to celebrate them in, in many kind of ways. And then I think another side of slow food was perhaps more for the consumer, for, for people to go to these events and to taste these foods that were organized or to um, have these occasions that turned into kind of quite celebratory kind of things. And I think it was the first time I came across that that sort of word of conviviality. You know that to be convivial and and that sort of sharing of information knowledge and but you know um as a young kid, I'd kind of hop on a plane and go over and support um Irish farmers cheese and sort of be part of this group that was sort of like in these giant and these giant um halls like the 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 slow food um big slow food event um was held in the Fiat factory, the one that had a racetrack on the roof. Hmm. And um, and yeah, do you hear my daughter shouting at me? I, is someone in a well? Or is yeah, I know. Did somebody she, fall she, down a well she, or she something? She smelled me. I'm in a different building across the yard. She managed to find me. <laughs> She's quite. I messy. thought maybe like somebody got like <laughs> caught in the thresher or something like that. Yeah. Like dad, dad. <laughs> but um, no, I I think the the it, it was quite fascinating. Oh, do you know what I'm going to do? Is I'm just going to let Kieran know that actually can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One second. She's like trying to get in. Uh, Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just going to let her know because it's actually like, do you know that it's, today's the solstice? Today is the solstice. This is the longest yeah. day of the year. Yes, I do know. Yeah. That. So, hey, love. <laughs> Rowan's outside the door and she's oh, freaking shit, out. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, love. Nice. <laughs> tag team. Yeah, totally. This is this is it. This is teamwork. That was that was hot. Did you use a walkie-talkie by any chance? I no, I used my phone there. Oh, so I put I it on wish speaker. It was a walkie-talkie. <laughs> see, I would know, see that would be like that would, in my mind, that would be your move like well, the with, family with five, moves. everyone's got walkie-talkies. Kids, yeah, with five kids you'd need that kind of infrastructure, wouldn't you? Like <laughs> <laughs> the Motorola chirping. Yeah. Out, chirping I've, all the time. I've got three. Have you got two? Where are the other two? <laughs> uh, dude, there's, there's a kid outside. There's a kid outside. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Up, operation remove child screaming child from the but, so uh, you were 
were saying so this space had a had a had a racetrack on the roof? Yeah, it was it was where they used to test their vehicles. Is that it was that big and inside you Jeez. had these like almost small cubicles the size of a bed that you would go in and this building was just filled with them from head to toe. And they would sort of let's say the really special people that would probably have no money whatsoever, they were supported by Slow Food to maybe get, bring them over and help educate them. It was the Salona del Gusto. Um, and the, um, the, the Salon del Gusto also had the, um, uh, had, I think, meetings that would often try and help support, um, things like, let's say, protect raw milk cheeses, or, um, let's say if there's a certain type of cured ham that's under threat of being banned because they don't do modern day pasteurization, or, you know, there's some kind of element right. of that. It would, it would be there to kind of help, um, protect small producers who, who don't have the ability to, uh, or a voice for themselves. Um, or a loud enough one, yeah, probably is a better way of putting it. So, so that organization must have had its hands filled during the uh, Mad Cow. Does oh yeah, this Mad Cow was yeah, never mind that. I think I think that it, the 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 more than anything, you know, I I, I think that the, you know, there's always going to be a food scare or something like that. You know, there's always going to be something that they they just come and go and people forget about them. You know, right. I think with the but the the more important part of it, I think is is I suppose the protection of things before we just modernize the shit out of ourselves before we get so sublacent to sort of like just eating processed foods I think if you know the magic of of, of probably where things have stemmed from uh, and and you know to understand I suppose and, and even subliminally to realize that you know non-processed foods are easy to digest you know, you know they're always trying to stop you putting butter into things because it's got high fat in it but you're happily enough allowed to use margarine which is you know very hard to digest in comparison or right. you know good fats bad fats I mean you can go on about this I think because everything is arguable so um but I think the majority of things are really about probably, uh, I, I suppose, just understanding passion, tradition, and, and, and I suppose in, in cultures that have just gone back so far that, that if you just keep adding rules to systems, it crushes people into not bothering to do it anymore. And it takes out the romance and the skills and the traditions. And and I suppose the thing is, if you make people you know feel a million bucks for what they do, and if you celebrate them in that kind of respect, they keep doing, they pass information, that knowledge on. And, you know, they bring um, school kids to these big halls and let them walk around the place and try things and and sort of meet the makers and um, it's fascinating. I mean, like on the other side of it, you know, you're also meeting all the wine producers and all these things. You get this little glass you hang in a bag around your neck and you can just go and you know you have these tokens so you can go around the place and you can try the different wines from different parts of the world. But more interestingly, you can try say, Barbera di Asti, which is a certain type of grape that's grown in, in the cooperative around the Diasti region, but they all have the same grape, but maybe one farm is a, or, or grower is a, is a larger producer. The other one is small. One guy presses with his feet. The other one has, you know, large sort of combinations. One's south-facing, one's, you know, north-facing. I'm, I'm pulling things out, but, you know, the, there right. is different elements of the soil type, and they're saying, yes, yes, this wine is a little bit sweeter because we do this, or you can taste the, the, the tan a little bit more because we do this, and this is aged a bit more. Try this wine. This is young, but try this one. That is, You know, that knowledge of having somebody very simply explain to you the differences of something using like-for-like in, in, in an environment like that will change your, your appreciation of food incredibly. You know, it, you just really, you, you, you know, you can fall in love with food a thousand times by meeting these amazing people and, and just getting a little taste of it. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think that those trips back and forth, um, uh, you know, you know, every so often to Italy, and then going to the small town of Bra and staying with the friends who who, who cure and age parmesan, and you know, these have all been life altering kind of occasions. Because I think as a young kid, I was very gung ho. I mean, you can imagine, I, I probably still am, <laughs> but I think to 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 appreciate do you know sometimes if you look at japanese food you know how they can appreciate the most subtle differences and yeah. flavors and little things like that the little things sure. make a big difference but then you can go to 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 another part of the world where chili will just blow your mind and there's so much lime and and whatever these flavors like the, the, there's just different you know they're using flavor in a whole different way and um I think learning to to balance things out is something that's kind of fascinating when when you feel like maybe you have to shout to you know or you can't help yourself just being heavy-handed with spices and ingredients and you forget that perhaps the pork is so is good enough that you actually don't need to do all this but at the same time what fights with what and and by actually expanding your horizon by actually trying some of the meats from all over the world in one place and meeting the makers and asking those little questions or being surprised by learning something you'd never thought to ask you know that they these are the influences at a young age for me that that probably i think played such a role an important role i it's amazing to me i i, I see i mean i see a, a few similarities between the two of us hmm. because i grew up in a, my father is a winemaker yeah so we were very very close with there's a famous uh, cheese company i don't know if it's i mean it's a very it's a famous company that used to make leather bags it's called coach coach farms <laughs> they're famous for their bags but they're they became very famous in new york for their cheese their goat cheese so growing up my father and the owner miles khan were very close so we were having dinner with them a lot and we were at their farm and we would do events and they, they were around the same age so the wine and cheese became this you know they were both doing things together and they became friendly and then we became friends with other small farms that were doing kind of artisanal things and there was this kind of collection of people but it's interesting when you talk about wines because it is it is what's amazing about wine is you were like you were saying these subtle differences there's subtle differences also based on the the, the weather mm. you know the weather makes a huge difference the oh, seasons the winter sometimes the, heartbreaking how, how everything can go wrong you know when there's so much you can't control that will affect something so importantly there, when I was very young, my dad had there was a freeze. My father was uh, when he started winemaking. He he pioneered white wine in the Hudson Valley of New York, which is a big deal in the seventies. Mm. And the New York Times was really behind him, like because you know most winemaking in the United States at the time in the seventies was up in the Finger Lakes, and it was really kind of like New York was not the place for wine. So my dad really. He pioneered white wine. He pioneered wine in the Hudson Valley, and, and then all of a sudden, it starts. Now it's in Long Island. Is like you, you know, you can swing, swing up, you can swing a stick, and you hit a winery in Long mm. Island. But, but uh, what was interesting was, was they said, don't do it. Don't have the wine in the Hudson Valley. The winters are too hard. So he found this uh, this varietal called Saval Blanc, which was mm. like a French and American hybrid that was really good in the winter and it was resist. It was naturally resistant to, to, um, certain, uh, it was resistant to, you know, pests and stuff like that. It so was really like skin on it. Maybe. Yeah, it was perfect for that area. But one year they had, it was this, this week, it was Christmas week and there was this crazy freeze and it killed everything. Mm -hmm. And they called it the Christmas. They called it the we dad. My dad called it the Christmas massacre mm -hmm. because it, it killed it killed all the vines for that year. 
and he was unable to do uh, he was unable to do uh, a vintage for that year, which was crippling. But what's interesting was was and and a lot of it has to do with his kind of you know what I feel like I get a lot of his like. Uh, f- kind of figuring out things, problem solving from him. And he was friends with, if, funny enough, he was friends with uh, the district attorney of New York, Robert Morgenthau, who was one of the longest running uh, district attorneys. He was a district attorney up until a few years ago, which he died uh, f- from the, from JFK. So he was like the, he was like the, the district attorney of New York for like 50 years, 40 or 50 years. And he had an apple farm, not too far from my dad's and we would have some you know we would be friendly with him and one year my dad the year that the christmas massacre my dad talked to him and he says let's get some apples oh, yes, and i'll make apple this. wine yeah. well, let's make some apple wine hmm. and i gotta do something so he got all this grape juice and he made uh, apple juice and he made apple wine and it was really interesting because it was this connection between these different farmers and trying to figure it's out actually, how we can work it out yeah, and there's a wonderful company here in ireland who who have actually got a fantastic um, organic orchard and they branched out to um, to actually distill much of the, you know, if they have some cider uh, or an excess amount of it, then what they can do is produce that. And they're making a sort of a variation of Calvados. And they're, they're sort yeah. of, they're, they've also learned how to reduce and sort of do the equivalent of a, an apple syrup. And um, I'd, I'd love that 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 thing now of that diversification, you know, of, of, of working with these kind of things. And it's fun as well. Everybody loves the new project. (laughs) But that's, but I mean, problem solving is like the ultimate form of human satisfaction. It's like being able to like find yourself. That's that's avoiding the curse of, of something going to waste. (laughs) What's the worst. I mean, he had nothing. I mean, he wasn't going to have a vintage and it was along along the lines of, I got to do something, you know, and, and he didn't want to bring grapes in and he just thought, maybe this year we'll just, we'll try it out and, and it was you know there was cer- certain people who said this it was dumb and everything like that but for me it was just like it showed my father had this incredible you know spirit of like kind of problem solving you know mm-hmm. he was a he was someone who was just like all right well this is something this is like almost an inner insurmountable problem let's figure out a way to around it and you know with another farmer they, they figured it out I, I think that there is there is such an incredible camaraderie between especially i can only imagine with you going to these farmers markets you're you're, you're so i can imagine you're like the beacon of joy at every farmer's market when they see you that <laughs> fucking head of yours that fucking head of hair of yours I, I, bouncing I around yeah, yeah i mentioned this i think my sister's very much taken over that role. I think when I when I hit the heavy um, heavy duty breeding program <laughs> and had the kids on the weekends, uh, I, there was a point where it got a bit a bit mad. I mean, I was literally running a, a kind of a, almost like a wedding catering thing with my sister. We were doing markets um, seven days, you know, the majority all through the weekends. We had the smokehouse running the farm, the cheese, and and my kids were sort of in the background. So my wife was very much, you know, as the baby number three comes along, you start running out of hands. We had to make that little deal that, you know, I can't keep doing this. I can't work all Saturday, all Sunday you know all the way through to the nights with that point where even i'd get up in the middle of the night sometimes to go down because the batch was in the hot smoker that hadn't quite finished yet and you sort of find yourself doing these things so yeah my sister who is incredible and has much more taste and class than me um has taken over the farmer's market stalls on the weekend and that's brilliant because one it it keeps a family member behind the stall and um the other part of it is that um i got to do a lot of family time and but then that also branched into me later on as the kids got older you know they're not that old now but (laughs) (laughs) um, to do a bit of knife making on the weekend when there was a chance as well 
But uh, yeah, no, it's it, the but the one thing about markets though is that it does become a family occasion. Like there is this yeah. thing where other stalls are there become like family as well because you go to the same spot and you have the same kind of thing with with the stalls and it it they adapt and change, but they do become this kind of um, this camaraderie between between um, different stall holders at these events, and I love going to them. Um, and I think I'm very much kind of trying to get back to them more now. I I went through a space there where I wasn't actually going. On the, on the weekends as much as just putting my orders in and I went back and I just realized the magic of it and I think it's especially good when, when the seasons kind of are more bountiful um, yeah and, and you know you can catch the asparagus in, in you know in certain times of year and you can you can pick out your veg and you can get your fish from the fish stall and oh that, that's the thing that you, you get that connection because like anything you can get surprised like, what is it? I got cuttlefish at the fish stall the other day it was my first time, but it was it was like literally it was put into a bag for me. There was none of the, it was no processing. I'm literally looking up the YouTube video on how to sort of. I've always done squid, but have you ever broken down a cuttlefish? No, I know they look like uh, aliens. Oh, they are freaky, but they're kind of cool. They have those things you feed your budgie inside them. You know, the sort of the white kind of plastic, <laughs> or like it's a sort of a strange material, but you feed your budgie that. I think to help with the grit for the eggs or whatever. Oh, the, yeah, the cut. Yeah, that's right. That's that, the thing that's, you find right, washed up on you beaches. Buy cut- yeah, the cuddle bone. You, you. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I used to when I had a parakeet, I had to get the cuddle bone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I, I screwed the whole thing up. Like the ink, the ink sack burst and it went everywhere. And I was like, it was kind of fun though. You see, that's the thing. I love that 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 challenge. I mean, like, do you know when you get veg boxes? I mean, if you go out and you choose your own vegetables, that's fine. But if you ask for, listen, give me a, give me a fifty euro selection of 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 different veg for my week supply. And, um, you know, you just might get something in there you wouldn't, you wouldn't have reached out for. And you have to start finding out how many different ways you can use celeriac and kohlrabi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Once. Celeriac once. You try it once and then the rest of it you put in the compost. Oh, have you ever salt-baked celeriac? You know what? I had it in culinary school and I was like, this sucks. I had it. It was somebody yeah. made a celeriac salad. I was just like, this this yeah, but, celeriac is like the celery. It's like a celery root. Yeah. And it is but terrible. There's something, there's something about it. it, it well, salt baking celeriac is a pain in the ass because it takes over your fridge and you have to use about 20 kilos of salt. All kinds of, oh. But blow your mind. I mean, that's the thing. You do a little quick Google. You get some things and you just – but you know what? You might not have bothered. And sometimes you force yourself to try it and you can fall back in love with things. And, and I think that, that sometimes, you know, to challenge yourself or push yourself is, is kind of a fun a fun thing. The um, – now, here's the question I have for you. This is the Christmas show, mm. and I am imagining – this is coming out on Christmas Eve, so I'm imagining – when I think – I was talking to my wife about you, and I, I, I love Gabin, the book. The, the Gabin book is – guys, it's like if you want to get into this maniac, this is the book to get because this, this, his family is just so great. It's so, so well written, and it's not like a cookbook where it's just like – all right, recipe next recipe. It's like a real. You see, it's 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 terrific. I there mean, was it a is scattering really terrific, amongst how tos and a bit of family kind of stuff. It was. Do you know that book was a challenge? My mom, like I mentioned, my mom was um my mom's family were all writers. So like right. like I always felt that you talk about your fa- your father in a certain way that connects me. And there's a generation difference. But my grandfather, I feel like there's a connections. Um, there is that generational difference, but there are the similarities. And he was a writer. And um, and I think that she had that 
you know, that itch to scratch. And I think that this book came at that certain time. And um, there is something kind of fun about it. But then, like everything, you don't know if there's ever going to be a book too. So you just throw everything into the first one because there's certain recipes that are family little things or there is right. parts of us. Like, it, the, the, you know, and I think there was a, a certain element the way we were questioning where we were going with certain aspects like the smokehouse and different things like that. So actually writing it down makes you suddenly commit to, to agendas you set for yourself to live up to them. You don't write something and then not live up to it or do it. See, I wish it wasn't called Gabine. I wish it was called the Ferguson family. Ah. <laughs> you know, because that's kind of more along what it was. And that's what, for me, well, cookbooks are the fun. Same. I mean, but it, you we, know, we, are, we are the Fergusons who live, but, but it's probably unfair because, of course, Gabine is a townland. You know, we, 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 we share this townland with lots of other amazing right. families. But, um, but I think, yeah, Gabine is probably the brand name. It's the thing that people probably recognize. And, you know, if somebody has, if there's a book called The Fergusons, people start thinking it's going to be all about tractors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Massey Ferguson. There we go. So that's, you got to name a dog Massey at some point. At some I think point. we probably did. <laughs> so, so now we're at Christmas time. I can only, I was talking, like I said, I was talking to my wife. I was just like, you know, I can only imagine what that family is like around Christmas time. It's like the Irish L.L. Bean family. I mean, this is like so <laughs> picturesque the family is like so picturesque it's this beautiful family and they're all like you know oh, way out of that we're, we're, and... we are absolutely chaotic we're in love with That's each what, other we're no, all but, different but like yeah the, no, there no, is, no, no, there's no, chaos look, amongst all of this Don't you're good looking you're a good looking family you're <laughs> proud farmers you're all wearing your wellies and you got your berber jackets on i'm sure we do the not have our berber jackets <laughs> oh i apologize is that an insult is that an insult <laughs> oh my not, god but I, I feel yeah we have more practical very cheap um oil skins that come from the local creamery. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Barber jackets are, is... they start to smell like shit after a long period of time if you start, <laughs> well, if you start milking can... with them for too long. I see you walking through the house wearing like your 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 milking boots and stuff like that if that's a thing or not. <laughs> what is the for I can only imagine Christmas time at your house has got to be like food city. Tell me what is on the menu. Well, do you know one of the one of the funniest sides about about is that we actually suddenly become a farm, just just a farm for this one week. We close down, so this week now it's the wind up to Christmas. Um, We are we've kind of made everything we can make from here on. You know, it's the the couriers are stopping. There's the last market is on Thursday. So after this, it's about shutting up shop. Because there's always been that tradition in Ireland way back. And I suppose we have been doing this for so long. We've kept that tradition that, you know, you stop and then you come back in the first week of the first working day in January. And that period was, a, a you know, a family holiday and, and everything like that. So, I mean, nowadays, I suppose so many people have to work through to Christmas. And you can often see that when most, the vast majority of the world is probably playing, you know, there's so many people are out there working um, in the service industry or anything like that. Now, I suppose... So to go back, the the fun thing for us is that it is literally just family time. It it is kind of us and and um, at home. And I think first thing is we're probably going to start arranging. Like we've just organized a couple of geese to kind of go off. They're getting dispatched. You know, we have we're going to probably do a little call of the yard. There's probably a duck or whatever else, and we have the hams. We have whatever else. So uh, there's a turkey. A friend of the family's is wearing. So like we have, the, we're spoiled with these this amazing food around us. You know, you have these traditions. Like, do you ever think for smoked salmon? Is smoked salmon uh, like Christmas? Smoked thing? salmon. Uh, we were my family grew up. When yeah. I grew up, smoked salmon was like a must. Yeah. So and I think that that there is actually one. There's there's only a couple of places now that can still do kind of wild smoked salmon, and that is the ultimate perk, you know. And you have the amazing Sally Barnes, 
and other amazing smokers who have uh, you know so i think there's there's something like that in the fridge you know we're going to cook boil the ham in advance you know that there is I think we haven't actually plucked one of the birds for a long period of time. My wife's initiate. I think before we were married, I think there was Kira was here for Christmas, who has the most beautiful long curly hair. And my dad sweeped her aside and said, come and help me to pluck the bird. I think part of that was the challenge to see <laughs> whether she's, you know, she'll rise to any challenge. But I think my father needed to see that rise to the challenge. And um, how long does it take to pluck a bird? It's, well, it depends on the size of the bird, um, but I think like a big goose would take a while. But I mean, pulling out the bigger wing like feathers and stuff. Do you know what? You're not in a hurry. You know, sit down on an upside down you. bucket Look and, and go to work on it. You know, like you know, listen. Just, if you tear into picture, anything, if you go fast, you're going to screw it up. And, and I'm I find fucking you, picturing you sitting on the a bu- upside down bucket. <laughs> your hair is crazy, and you're just like whistling a tune, plucking some fucking bird. <laughs> Yeah, sort of some dog chasing something around. Yeah, you and, yeah, yeah. I, I but, know, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. You are like, yeah, well, the, I mean, you, you might be like, like uh, the Shakespearean character Puck from like, you know, like this imp, like this giant <laughs> imp, this giant happy imp casting spells or something like that. Go away. Well, no, the, the, I, just the image I still remember to this day is going around the corner and seeing my dad and, and my, my now wife sort of sitting next to each other, laughing their asses off. There was there was literally, I think, every curl of her head had a feather in it, a white sort of feather uh, that was kind of being caught by the wind. And, you know, um, I think when I sat down to join them, I managed to sit under a beam and got shot on by a pigeon. And, you know, it, it's, you know, you have these kind of funny things. Look at this. But my sister, you know, you know, she would have, she would have probably had some stuff from the veg, you know, the, you know, Brussels sprouts are kind of a thing. So, you know, you're prepping food, you're doing whatever you're doing. You know, the bird would have been plucked in advance. So shooting back to Christmas Day, uh, my mum has a thing for bread sauce. You know, that? Uh, oh, it is literally like a white sauce, but it has bread kind of cooked through it. And there'd be a, um, is it, is it a lemon with cloves stuck into it? So it is, sure. it's kind of like a, it is a white sauce of sort, white sauce of sorts. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. But it, it does have, yeah, it's a kind of a, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look up the recipe and I'll send it to you. But so it you is, got a, you, you got a turkey, you can have a goose, you uh, have a duck. Well, we might not have all of these. No, no, I think th- I'm, I'm shooting between all the different Christmases. I think we're, we're right. working with what we got, but, um, you know, there's a menu for this year. Yeah. Bingle. Don't, don't fuck, don't, don't, don't play. I know. Yeah. Okay. A, I think this year, this year it is, it is turkey. A friend's turkey. We're going to have a ham because we have those. And, um, and so it's turkey and ham. And then there's, you got to roast your spuds. You got your Brussels sprouts. You got your cranberry yeah. sauce, your bread sauce, and then, um, probably carrots. But, um, you know, you, you do as much in advance as you can. And, and then my, my dad's, my dad's sisters often come over on on Christmas Day, and we kind of have a, um, uh, or is it Christmas Eve? Yeah, and they kind of come over, and we kind of that's a sort of a bit of a family get together, and you know, there's, we have um, a sort of a Christmas thing for the past few years as well, where we usually get a jamón from Spain, and that's kind of a big thing for us as well. You know, the the, the pata negra, you know, up in, in yeah. my my mum's family are all from Andalusia, which is kind of the if you go up into the mountains in Andalusia, the Huelva, around the Jabugo area. Um, you know, some of the best ham on in the world. And, um, yeah, so these hams have been hanging for two years. The, the, the pigs have been eating the acorns and you can actually taste that in the meat. And, and, um, it is, it is this, this kind of wonderful thing because I suppose it's about as hard as sli- hand slicing a salmon as well. There is this sort of skill to it, cutting it wafer thin. 
but this is kind of fun thing where you have to go with the pace of all the people around you are you know waiting for the person who slices slower than people can eat it <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it, a lot of lot of booze a lot of fun a lot of laughing there's usually a christmas swim as well we have um yeah, I haven't actually done it for a few years now. I, I kind of got over it. But when I was younger, it, and my wife is now the, the official Christmas swimmer, and the kids are probably about to start getting into it. But that was always for a good cause. The, the, the village skull, everybody gathers, and the countdown is for midday. So 12 o'clock, everybody charges into the water and, um, you know, fills up the buckets and for all the good causes. And it's sort of like the, the village kind of watches everybody kind of charge into the water which is you guys must be you guys must be when you guys show up to anything your whole family it's like it's official it's an official event when fingal and his family shows up. i can <laughs> only imagine no no you have to stop painting <laughs> i don't yeah. listen to me I, well we rarely all travel video. together well, that's the thing i mean like there's 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 now like i mean we definitely all jump in and out of our groups but uh, yeah i don't think we travel on on mass to, to right but well, yeah my, my do, father sure my father like... is yeah my father is, is 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 an amazing character and my mom of course as well but yeah there is um different i suppose different environments you find yourself in you know you feel very welcome and it's always a beautiful thing back to the hamon i i had tradi- i had real hamon when i was with tomer in mm. barcelona oh yes he made he sure some amazing yeah. he made sure i mean i was trying it from all over the place mm. and i was stupefied at how good it was mm. it was just like there's something about those markets i don't know if you ever went down yeah, to down the diagonal and you have the the the, the beautiful market is there the fish market and then there's them there's sort of yeah i know the one at the top of the diagonal he, it was I w- was amazing was a lot of people I, I I don't know if you could actually have it in the United States the way it was because you know everything all the the um, the hamons were cut and everything was you know room temperature which is you know smoked salmon you oh know, yeah but that, that's okay those... that, that that would be something you could probably do in America as well I mean the prosciutto but, and, and all these things yeah but you know what though I don't know I'm not necessarily sure because it was like so like. There was so much hamon cut, and it was all at room temperature. I don't know if you could. I don't, I've never seen that before around the United States. So. I think it's like anything. It's like time, a cheese. If you, if you start into it, keep going. There's nothing worse than slicing it, then leaving it for a couple of weeks, and then you have to cut off everything that's kind of dried out in the surface. So I think that luckily there's enough people eating it that you just some guy standing behind that ham all day just carving. It was like it was luscious. It was delicious. Mm. It was like really. I mean, I understand. I understand. Well, you, why, you know, the magic the, is is that the 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 acorns from the, the the. So you know that there's that balance between between things. The the cork oak, as in the cork, the the the, the bark is where they get corks for wine bottles. Right. So every 10 years they harvest that. But it's the same tree that has the acorns that fall on the ground, that leads up to kind of the winter. So the the last kind of three months. Uh, before the pig is dispatched is when they're eating these these Winfeld or the, the Feld acorns. And those acorns are high in oleic acid, the omega-9, which, of course, then kind of works its way through into the meat. And when they age, you actually find them like much like you find those crystals in, in Parmesan. They, they they become these little oleic acid. But it's, it is one of those amazing symbiotic kind of relationship. But I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but it is one of this nature's kind of something has done something beautifully to balance out there and um yeah mind mind-blowing experience when i went to to stay with friends in finca buen vino and actually help them when they would probably dispatch a couple of pigs or maybe a few pigs where we would sort of literally capture the blood to make the morphia um do the butchery break them all down salt the legs um harvest the guts wash them out 
you know, make the, chop up all the meat, mince it all down, make the chorizo, make the salsichon, do all these different things. And all the, the, the offal and all the, the first to kind of go, um, or the, the products you couldn't preserve or keep are the things that you would turn into big stews and you'd eat the ribs as the tapas and you'd sort of, you'd cook things over the fire um, then and there that you would kind of have the fires going to kind of start warming up the room to kind of begin the fermentation, you know, and, or or literally just to heat the water to help you keep things, you know, clean. And it, it's it's such a tradition that, you know, the people from the village and the friends of the family would come to help in the Matantha. And it's all about getting pissed, the long table feast, the laughter. There's hard work involved, but there's a camaraderie kind of thing around it. And um, and I think that's where these kind of these quite challenging dishes are kind of are kind of fun as well. But there's something about the whole process that might make some people cringe. But it is a celebration because the, the thing is, it's happening in the middle of winter where it's really cold in the mountains. So it's literally like keeping your meat in a fridge. You're hanging in these rooms that are, you know, two degrees with very low humidity because it's up high. But then as as you sort of salt them, it moves into spring and it starts to warm up. And that's when your fermentation kind of, or not your fermentation, it's probably happened a bit earlier. But as they start to, to you know, age the, the cycle, then you hit summer several months later where it actually begins the, the process of helping to age the ham. So, you know, you have literally got something that has just got everything working in his favor or they have found a way of making it work to create something quite fascinating and then when you get to taste it like that and you you know what work went into it it's mind-blowing there's something to be said about what you what you were saying is reminds me i was listening to i was listening to a podcast david chang has a great podcast oh isn't it great ugly delicious he's fascinating uh, uh yeah i don't well the, his podcast is the david chang show and he had this guy on talking about uh he was talking about climate crisis and everything like that and he was talking about one of the big things that restaurants need to do is the food waste has become so big especially in the United States hmm. that it's it's affecting it's i mean it's affecting the carbon footprint because so much is getting i mean so much is garbage you know it's people so much feel they need to sort of overload food to make people feel like there's value for money and yada yada and i think that that's not kind of right really i, I think that you, you, you know there is a balance, isn't there? There's a place where you can go into a restaurant, you know, is it the 27-ounce steak challenge, you know? <laughs> well, I wonder if it's like, because what you're talking about in terms of like that whole idea of having these events where you're you're taking care of the entire animal and then the offal has gone in the stews and then the everything's, it seems as though I've always felt that there has been, especially in the United States, there's this there's always been a lack of, of passing along traditions of cooking. And that's the reason why supermarkets became so huge and, and processed food is so huge. And when you walk through a supermarket, all you need to do is walk on the outside and that's where you get the fresh stuff and all the stuff on the inside of Everybody buys. It's like kind of more wasteful stuff, and it, it it always interests me when I think of these you know traditional family events where they're you know taking care of an animal, and it, maybe it's a lot of hard work, but I mean there's nothing going to waste. And I almost wonder if because there's such a lack of this kind of sociology of cooking, there's also a lack of the traditional ways of doing something. And then now, well, there's a you degree of separation, isn't there? I mean, like people. I think people sometimes don't realize what they're eating and what kind of goes into it. There's convenience. I mean, you know, what was 40 minutes to cook dinner is now 10 minutes if you, or less if you throw it in the microwave. But um, I always I sort of jokingly say this, but kind of mean it at the same time. I think it wouldn't be funny if there was a driver's license kind of equivalent that you have to get, you know, to eat chicken. You have to wring a chicken's neck, pluck it, and then from that point on, you're allowed to now eat chicken. You know? I 
said that years ago, my wife and I have been kind of like going back and forth to vegetarianism for the past 10 years. And I could go three years without eating, eating meat. I mean, I grew up as a big red meat household. Mm-hmm. My father was an awesome cook. But he also felt very strongly about the fact that if you're going to eat some meat or cook some meat, you got to do a good job huh. and you have to like take, you know, take into account the fact that this animal died and you, you owe it to that life to, to do a good job, to make sure none of it goes to waste and to, 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 you can under, to know where ways, it came yeah. from. I think there is that element of, first of all, appreciating what it took to, to, to do that. I, I think that, I mean, yeah, we could have the conversation about meat. I'm like I've always said, I'm a guilty butcher, but it's just one of those things I'm really good at doing. And and I I think that I don't think people need to become vegetarians. I, I'm so glad people are. I think the reducitarian kind of type thing, or just being aware of what you're eating, is really what I'm getting at. And I think when well, people for- put their fingers in their ears because they no longer want to dice up meat or do anything and have to pre- have everything prepped for them, I don't know. I think it also. There's a, that thing of not using all just prime cuts, you know, right. bring back that whole element of, I mean, it's amazing, you know, what food you can make with just putting more, you know, that more time. But now at the same time, there are people who are making food out there on, on probably a larger scale and they're doing it really well. Um, but I think people just need to know to, you know, to differentiate between who's making an effort and who isn't, who has their best concerns at heart and who doesn't. Well, I think that what you going back to what you're saying is I I am I am a, I love meat I don't really I, there's nothing I don't really like I don't like beef liver but that's about just about it I feel the strongly about the fact that it's important I think you're a, a gazillion times I think that people take for granted what goes into being a meat eater hmm. and I think that if there was and I, one of the reasons why I'm such a huge fan of hunting is because there's this reverence there's a reverence to the idea of you know where this animal came from and kind of like having this kind of relationship with nature and I I I, I think that it's and in the United States it's the fucking only thing that's keeping conservation alive if it wasn't for hunters yeah. and fishing guys there'd be like it'd be, it'd be, it'd be one giant highway I yeah. mean it'd be, it's it's ridiculous yeah. but I do but think that you're thousand percent right it's the idea of like kind of like not taking for granted that when you go to the supermarket and you see the styrofoam container with the plastic and there's some thing that kind of doesn't look grotesque you know i mean in the united states when you order when you get a chicken in a supermarket there are no feet on those chicken like you are not going to see feet on the chicken because people don't want to see that shit hmm. you know that right yeah yeah yeah. and yeah. the same thing oh, it's, it's in most like that here as well and most things, in most things, also not to mention in the United States, a lot of Americans they don't want to see heads on the shrimp unless you're from the down south, they, and they don't and they don't want to see. There's a lot of things they just don't want to see. There's a lot of people who don't they won't they don't want to see the heads on fish. They don't. A lot of times, especially northeast, there's not a lot of fish buying, and a lot of it's because number one is everyone is afraid that they're going to stink their kitchen up, but their second thing is is they're afraid. Is afraid they don't want to see the fish. They don't want to see the eyes. There's a ton of that. Yeah, I know. There's a ton of that. Mm. You know, and then they get the and then they get the shrimp all cleaned up and cooked and you know ready to go. And then they you know there's this kind of like there's this mindset of like wow well, I didn't really you know I didn't really see the eyes so I guess it wasn't really a big deal. Yeah. Where were we? I'm just talking about I I just appreciate I appreciate you and your uh, your ability. I think that food waste. I think that I believe that food waste is a giant problem, mm. especially in the United States. And, and I just I appreciate. I was just kind of referring to when you were talking about these these kind of 
familial, you know, events that allowed people to have a relationship as a family mm. and also kind of make make an occasion know, and celebrate it and, and, and do the whole kind right. of thing. And I think that's really probably Christmas was 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 a big part of that as well. I mean you wouldn't eat yeah. you wouldn't eat to that insane level <laughs> that often. Um yeah, so but I think there is that thing more moreover it's kind of that thing of getting everybody together and getting everybody to sit around the table at the same time and do that. You know, that's that's actually something kind of looking forward to as well. What's what we having for dessert at your house? What's the what's the big dessert there? Oh, but there's usually it's it's sort of Christmas pudding. So you kind of you're, you're normally sort of flambéing a bit of, of of Christmas pudding and puccino or, or some very high high alcohol spirit brandy or something like that. So I think there is Christmas cake and puddings and mince pies is is the traditional one here. Actually, there's a fun story. The um, a good friend of mine, Seamus Sheridan, um, decided to cook the equivalent of Christmas dinner, but like in almost in the mid, middle of summer. Um, there was Italian friends of his that were coming over and he gathered a bunch of cheese making friends and we ate in, in an amazing friends restaurant so he was he was cooking a sort of a summer version of Christmas dinner and as a sort of a joke he arranged Christmas puddings that everybody hadn't sort of eaten over the Christmas period because they do hold you know that normally some of the yeah. best mince is kind of made almost the year before but it wouldn't Christmas pudding wouldn't be kind of one of those traditions in Italy and so all these Italians were sitting around and we had our goose and we had all these kind of things and there was roast potatoes and it was lovely. You know, it was, it was a, an amazing meal. And being, of course, the guests, dessert came around and they all started to eat it. And by the time it got around and everybody's sort of having so much fun at this stage, eventually some some Irish member of the family said, oh, don't eat the pudding, it's turned. Because, you know, it's made with a suet and it can go rancid. Yeah. So obviously yeah. there was a fucked up pudding. <laughs> and you could see fucked up pudding. <laughs> fucked up pudding. And all you can remember is these <laughs> 10 Italians saying, oh, thank God, we don't have to eat this. And pushing. They'd already gone halfway through it. They didn't know whether to force themselves through the other half of it. But um, I love Christmas pudding. Yeah. I actually... So for most of the Americans listening, so wondering if it's like Jello, it's not. That's not. It's not Christmas pudding like a fucking custard. It's 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 it, the Christmas pudding is interesting. Oh, because it's sort it's of like soaked soaked fruit and suet, and, and it's, it looks like a, a a kind of a, a and it takes the shape of a sort of a round bowl. But it's it is. Um, yeah, you you were saying it's nuts and and mm. dried. It's a lot of dried fruits, dried. You know, uh, huge amounts of alcohol in it. Yeah, it is tons of alcohol and suet, and then they they you, you there are different ways to cook it. One, a friend of mine, uh, they're steamed, aren't they? Well, before they're steamed, they're actually like fed. Like you mm. basically you're feeding it. You're feeding it. You can keep it in a cold place, and as you're preparing it, you're you're constantly like feeding it uh, alcohol, <laughs> and then over time, over time, it starts to just kind of like turn into something, and then. It's and then when it's ready, what you do is you steam it. You know, you know, it's like in a it's like in a big bowl, and you steam it for a long time. And when you pull it out, it's just. I mean, it it's a, it is an acquired taste. I mean, I love it, and my family, my wife and daughter, you definitely brandy butter or cream with it. You need, right. you need something to help so, get it down because it's heavy. You can get it from like Fortnum and Mason have it, and and it's what's interesting is, is the history. Mason in the States. I th- I seem to remember we got it. For, I don't know if we had it in the state. I think Hillary did a, a whoopsie for me one year and just like, you know, like I had one sent or okay. something like that. I think you could probably get it somewhere. But it's an acquired Whole taste. Foods. It's definitely yeah. not. It's not an American. It's not an American dessert. And it's it's very kind of like actually. What's interesting about it is there are different variations. Actually, in there's I have Jamaican friends, hmm. and they would make uh, what's called a black cake 
or the, how they would say they call it a block cake. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing, and it's delicious, and it's it's very figgy, and it's got like it's like very kind of like molassesy, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing. But what's interesting is is that whole that the the Christmas pudding also is where the uh, fruit cake came from. Mm-hmm. So the fruit cake with the American fruit cake, which is which is basically dried fruit, and it's like hard as a rock, and it tastes like shit, and everyone makes you know it's it's so notoriously bad. Are you that, a marzipan? Fun. I don't like marzipan. I don't, I don't like marzipan. My, my 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 wife likes it, but I I could you could because that that that's coated around it and then iced over the top. Yeah, well, no, well, American fruitcake. Um, fruitcake got a bad rap because you know it's so nutty and hard, and it's usually it just sucks. Really, it's just got this fake. It's <laughs> I'm got sure this, there's like, a good version fruit. out there. <laughs> I'm sure there is, but I mean, like, I mean, they came up with the expression "nutty as a fruitcake" yeah. because it's like you know, or, or he's a fruitcake. It's because it's like you know, it's wacky. There's like fake green and red. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the glass and, cherries, which apparently yeah, a, fake, a fake glass a cherry is actually made from turnip. I've been told. Really? Yeah, apparently you can if you kind of make little balls, if you ball out turnip and then you you um sugar syrup whatever it is, preserve them in that kind of way, you can actually yeah, they taste exactly the same or they go transparent like a glacé cherry. So I, mean, I think really cheap glacé cherries are actually bits of turnip I've been told. <laughs> I think that if there's probably somebody who makes a kick-ass fruit cake, I'm definitely willing to try. Like I'm willing to I'm willing to 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 say fruit cake got abducted by somebody and it could turn into something bad because there's all sort there's all sorts of like you know in the in Italy a panettone oh yeah which is, really which is the total opposite it's more about the lightest cake in the world you know they're they're left to hang upside down to actually keep the size in there you could probably take an entire panettone and squeeze it into an egg cup <laughs> oh, gonna... I've never actually had one. You've never, never had, had one. Oh my god, they're, I've never they're, had... they're phenomenal. And there's this sort of very special dusting and kind of icing powder, and you can get variations of them. But there's a unique cooking style, and I think they're cooked in a very unique way. And after they've risen and cooked, you then flip them upside down and hang them, which stops the sort of steam or whatever from making it collapse. So right. it becomes like a brioche on steroids, and it's that lightest thing. It's can it's the candy floss of cakes of bread. Does that make well, sense? Well, actually, yeah, it, I completely understand. I'm it looks like, but yeah. when you see what it looks like, it looks like a chef's hat. Mm. It's huge. It's like long, and they the way they're specially baked. And I, there's a chef I'm working with, and he's known for making panettones. And we were kind of doing some business with him. My my, my 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 business partner says, "Well, what do you think?" And I'm like, "Well, he hasn't sent me a panettone, so I don't know if I want to do the job or not." <laughs> like, so we're like, we sent a we sent him a ma- we sent a message saying like, "Well, if Jeff's not." happy that he didn't get a panettone this year so well that 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 i may or may not get one well the, Shots the, the boat the is sailed but listen I'll, I'll go into the shops and find all the um the the, the christmas special offers in january and i'll send you over a panettone well <laughs> the see, that's the problem is they have those in like the supermarkets and they're so dodgy you know that they're i mean you can imagine like a fresh panettone is probably i don't awesome. know no they actually but keep, they have they surprisingly that, they keep i've I, you actually can buy certain types of panettones and it's not like you have it the next day it's at its best like there's a good couple of weeks in them i think how that happens i have no idea i would imagine that you have to like turn it into french toast or something like that i don't know yeah we'll talk about a sexy um uh, french toast a little pompadour 
Dude, I want to tell you. I, I have to tell you this. I have to tell this at some point. To, I was. I David Chang. He his new cookbook, Cooking from Home, is great. He has a recipe call that is the greatest dessert of all time. I'm dying to try it, and it's the easiest recipe of all time. And he said it's a. It, he call. It, there's an expression that he started. I, well, I don't know if he started, but it's called sandbagging. <laughs> it's basically like you know. It's like you know knocking out something and you know making it seem like he did a special thing. So what he does is he went to this guy house his famous french chef and they served this dessert and he went crazy for this dessert he couldn't believe it and he went back to the kitchen what the chef had done he took a donut from a donut shop a glazed donut and then a saute pan he put some butter in a saute pan and then he sauteed the glazed donut in butter oh for fuck's sake and then, and it gets crispy, and then the inside gets moist, and he's like, you can get Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme, you can get some, some any glazed donut will work. And you just like pan roast it in the butter. And then you put it on a plate and you slap some ice cream on it, he says it's the perfect dessert. Yeah, have you ever, had says, a, have you ever seen, a, you can get a burger, but in a donut? Oh, yes. There's actually, I've seen it, and, and then my little deli here was doing a bacon, egg, and cheese. Oh, in a donut. On, to, on a donut, yeah. Like, I'm like, you know, I, my kid was just like, you think you should try that? I'm like, no, I, I, I refuse. I have some sort of morals. I can't, I can't be eating donut, bacon, egg, and cheese with you, for Christ's sakes. So, so you guys are going to do a bread. You're going to do a, uh, there are going to be some puddings and special stuff like that. Nothing, nothing crazy. Yeah, no, I think uh, luckily they're done. My, my, there's this wonderful, I always remember this yearly thing where my, my aunt, Annie, who's, is the, the, the fantastic chef in the family. She, she was my dad's sister. I think the youngest sister. She, she went off and kind of opened a restaurant a long time ago. It was a magical restaurant in Balladahab. I don't know if I mentioned to you before, like there was a pub across the road and she had a small restaurant. And if people arrived early, she used to send them across the road to Nell and Julia's and to Levis's pub. And she'd say, wait for me over there. And she used to cross back and forth all the time. And her husband at the time, um, you know, he's not with us anymore, but Dano, he was amazing. He was in the kitchen. She was front of house. Um, and what would happen is you go in and she was such a warming person and is, is still to this day. She's fascinating. But what would happen is you, you people would go in and they'd land into Nell and Julius, which was run by these two amazing old ladies. And you'd have a skin full of pints and she'd take your order. And then when the food was ready, she's probably taking the order for the next people who come in. And then she'd tell somebody to come over and you sit down and your food's ready. And you had this kind of amazing thing. So Annie just knows how to cook. She was literally one of those restaurants that would go and collect the fish from the fish, the boats as they were coming in. Wow. It was the freshest fish. She is special. And... um what would happen is that the um, that Annie usually kind of goes to the back of the car and takes out the Christmas cake and gives it to my dad, who every year does the same thing. He also over-exaggerates the weight of it. You know, where you sort of like one leg oh, is yeah, about yeah, to yeah, buckle yeah. as you're handing right, the cake. Because right, right, right. that's the biggest compliment you give to anybody who makes you, the, you know, a good proper fruitcake. And uh, yeah, so that was, yeah, so I think that's that's the, the sort of the, come on. Do you have any fond memories as a child of Christmas? Yeah, I do you know what? I'm I'm not I get I'm funny about Christmas. Part of me likes it. What I love seeing around me is everybody getting into Christmas. I love Christmas yeah. spirit in other people. I usually get overwhelmed by Christmas and I then I feel like there's an anticlimax kind of thing afterwards. So yeah. part of me sees the ups and the downs of Christmas, but what I want is everybody happy around me. So I think that that is, is I suppose, my, my kind of catch with Christmas. I'm so happy it happens. 
and I love the sort of the whole spirit of the thing. And I think if everything's going to plan, and I know that you know everybody has presents and and you know the, the kids or whatever else, and all that's kind of going to plan. But yeah, it's 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 a process. That I'm really glad is there. But I have mixed emotions about Christmas because I feel like there's so many things you have to keep your eye on and keep your track on, and 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 maybe I'm just trying to control it, and you shouldn't. You know, <laughs> there's some part of it. Like what? It? Like what? Like what? Are, what are you? What are you worried well, about? I don't know because I suppose in one part of it is that what we do as a family business is is trying to plan everything right for Christmas. We have to stop for two weeks. We're about to have a logistical nightmare because everything has to go out in time, and we can only make so much. So sometimes we don't have enough food for for all these places we supply, and people get right. upset about that. And um, and there's only. So so much we can kind of do but on the other side of it as well there is um there's so like say the christmas ham and different things like that which you know have to make sure that everybody has a specific thing so and so wants it on the bone off the bone smoked this size that size and you know if you make any mistake you know you suddenly have somebody looking for the ham on christmas kind of eve and you know you know oh, you didn't Jesus. you know and you suddenly you're waiting for that kind of thing to happen and maybe i just build that into a, you know a, a, a thing because I suppose I can do a thousand things right and I'll get worried and it'll consume me about the one thing that didn't go right. So I'm kind of, of maybe I'm waiting for that one thing to not go. But do you know what? I think with the amazing team around us, what we pull off for Christmas is kind of phenomenal. And I think the people that help us here in Gabine with everything are phenomenal. And I'm, I'm so grateful to see what we're pulling off year after year as I suppose things become maybe maybe more complicated than, but simpler. I mean, what right. I mean is what the world demands is maybe more complicated, but how we've set up the system has, has made it a bit more solid. Like, yeah, I just remember how we used to do it in the early days is a little bit. <laughs> so if you, so if I was a local, how early do I have to order a ham from, from Gabine? No, well, we, I it suppose it depends. Um, I, I don't think I think it just helps to have it in advance of probably December. Okay. Because and then how many do you, how many do you think you sell? Uh, well, we would have we would have probably we would stash some of the that we'd take some of the best cuts and we would freeze some of those coming up to Christmas just to make sure we have enough and then we would cure them just before December to have everything. So that's because we know we have the piggy co-op, which I mentioned before, which are the higher right, offers. Right. So what we would do is um, that's what makes it possible because otherwise there'd only be 20 hams. So yeah, we, we do a couple, you know, a couple of hundred um, hams oh, for, for, for Christmas and then they all and go then, logistically to different markets and different places and some are smoked and some are this size and that size. But um, that's on top of what we're already doing um, and everything else. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad to do that. I'm kind of glad to be part of the Christmas dinner, which is kind of a fun thing. That is incredible. But here's what I know. What I know is you have, throughout the curing process and the smoking process, there's one ham that you had your eye on. It's just a little bit... Sp I know every... Oh, I yeah, know you. Yeah. I know we're, not allowed to have, every we're not allowed to have favorite children either, but there's a favorite ham. <laughs> every year, I'm sure you're just kind of like scoping it out, seeing which one is the one that you're going to take home. What makes the cut for you to say, this one's coming home with me? There's a certain amount of marbling they'll probably see is a certain type of marbling that I might say just that right amount. Do you know there's that sort of fear of fat? But the funny thing is most of that always renders out, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, fat's hot or not. You're either, you're either into Wagyu beef or, or right. not. And I think that I see people often being told they have to cut down on fat and do things like that, but it doesn't mean it's, it's probably how you eat the fat. 
Um, and I think that there is a sort of a whole process in, in the, like, uh, did I mention how the, the, the connection with Jane Grigson and, and the kind of the cure? We, we have a, we, yeah. Brian or Hams, my grandfather's, a friend of my grandfather's was Jane Grigson, this famous Chicoutier. Uh, I think she was English who, who lived in a lot of time in France and translated a lot of those French traditions. So what we have, our, our friend, our, our Brian would have this French twist. Or we have a bottle of wine and a, a bouquet garni, which is, you know, a, a, a muslin sack that would have the different herbs and spices in it that we would boil uh, kind of a liter or so um, of water and make a tea bag and kind of extract that kind of the spices out and put that into a traditional Irish brine. So what you have are these little subtle influences of the French the little je ne sais quoi, you know, the, the, the little yeah. bit of wine and herbs that would come through as a back note flavor. And then um, because of the way we brine the hams, we don't do this process called tumbling. So the hams are are, are, are basically, it's, it's back to seam butchery where you follow the muscles. So you don't put them into this process where they kind of are... Um, the, the expression is called tumbling, where they're kind of made tacky and you put them into a mold and you can create any shape you want. So commercial hams are higher in yield, but they have a kind of rubbery flavor. So our hams don't go through that. And it's not trying to, it's just the more traditional way of doing it. So they kind of have that flakier texture, looser, lighter, kind of more traditional. I understand. Texture. Yeah. And um, so I suppose that's why some people probably like our hams is just as a little influence of flavors and a slightly different texture, um, or more traditional texture, the less rubbery flavor. Uh, texture and um, it's yeah so I suppose that's the thing you can you can boil them up the day in advance and then it's just all about glazing it up on, on the day and sticking in the oven at the right time so you had like a, I would imagine you, you you're looking through the 200 and you got you maybe have a you have a list of five that you you see you're in your eye you're like making a mental note I yeah, that I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to there. be proud of them all so I'll quite often I'll quite often happily take the one that, you know, that, that probably wasn't the sexiest, knowing that, you know, that should still be good and, 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 and as good as all the others. And it also means if I'm taking the worst one, that means everything else that we've sold is the best. <laughs> you know, that, that other people oh, are getting look that. Oh, you. No, I, see, I mean I see, that sincerely. I, think nice. I, would, I would happily do that because I, um, I'm still going to be happy with it. I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't have become a ham if it wasn't, you know, like that. And I'm not just saying that. I think sincerely there is this element of... But... um. Yeah. Ah, yeah. see, I see. I would, I would like see one, maybe like had like a weird knuckle on it or something like that, or some. There's something about it. I was just like, I that one, that you gotta, one. You gotta love bl- things for their flaws, my man. You gotta love things for. Their I flaws. know. I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, I like, I got his, I got a little something wrong with his hoof. I'm gonna keep him. Yeah, we had, we but had, I, a, we I, had a funny one Christmas. We had a, a really bizarre. Myself, my sister, Clovis. <laughs> we, we did it to Durkin. And you know, oh. Tadurkins are a thing, but I, I haven't sure. I haven't heard that word for a couple of years, which I'm kind of probably glad about. But we we actually literally it was a farm reared Tadurkin, so there was. I think wait, that, wait, 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 wait! Is it tur- is it Tadurkin or Tadurkin? Isn't it? Isn't like a, chi- a thing, chicken? Right? A chicken and a duck in a turkey. Right. That's right. And but we actually we we <laughs> we're talking about the the great culling of all the cockerels in Gabine. Never so often when there's far too many cocks in the yard, we we gotta go and clean up the restore the balance. And um, I think there was a there was a turkey that we were plucking, and then there was you know there was a duck who you know I think one of them really wasn't kind of I think it was probably like granddad. You <laughs> know we weren't really spoiling ourselves with the the prime beast, but it was it was um, all you know the, the well well lived life and everything else like that. But we decided. Well, listen, what are we going to do? Well, why don't we make a fucking turkey? 
And I just remember, never remember like laughing so hard with my sisters. We're sort of trying to find out how to stuff one into the other, into the other. And we really should have probably put that thing on at seven o'clock in the morning because it like took almost the best part of the day to cook in a sort of a oh, it's half dense, process. Super, super duper dense. Well, no, that's like... you, no, no, to cook it right, I mean, you'd kind of do the lower temperatures and just keep the low and slow for a long time, you know. I, I yeah. think if it goes dense is usually when, I mean, the whole thing about cooking in some kind of ways is if you go over a certain temperature you're just letting all the steam and all the juices from the meat evaporate out that's why everybody goes brining and everything like that but if you if you use the pr- the principles of sort of smoking or or sous vide you know everything's done below that 100 degrees centigrade so that nothing kind of steams off so you can keep your juiciness and then you can throw the heat on at the end for the you know the, the nice flavors well that's the big i mean that is the now the 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 most famous not famous the most preferred method of a lot of the people refer to it as reverse searing yeah, where yeah. they're cooking everything at a super low temperature everything is medium rare all the way through and then you finish it on the uh, yeah. but I can, I, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll also argue I mean you know Heston Blumenthal you know he has that kind of right. recipe for the perfect chicken which is done in that same process of very low temperature and then it is the juiciest chicken in the world. But on the counter flip side of that, man, you got to walk into a house and you got to smell the roast and you got to smell the, the, the fistful of thyme and garlic that's been shoved up its ass and the whole sort of flavors. <laughs> you know, there is this thing about that bit of heat. So you have to balance things out. There's a time for slow cooking something and sous vide and there's a time for just roasting that fucker up and, and just nailing the timing. I'm thinking of actually spatchcocking the turkey this year and just doing it, you know, in a very traditional way, but spatchcocked as opposed to longer and slower and in the in, in the in a sort of a traditional way you know i agree with you because i li- i think that i sous vide has become a little bit easier for people to do now you can get these little machine you can just basically it's you for basically people who don't like chewing <laughs> yes it, well it's also it for people who want to like so basically uh, you know sous vide is you're you're putting your meat in like a plastic bag and then you're submerging it in water and then you usually have a heating element that's not on a stove so it could be almost looks like a it's like a water brush you're, you're hot water it's a yeah, double boiler or whatever else yeah right so you can, i mean you see sometimes people actually using a bucket like you can put it you hmm. fill the water with bucket a bucket of water, you get your stuff sous vide stuck in there, you know, put a little bit of whatever, you know, herbs and stuff and then vacuum seal it. And then you, you boil it for like, you know, you're oh, boiling amazing. in but, the but bag. carrots and things like that are phenomenal. I, I think that it's, I think that it's a good, I think that what it does is it, it gives people uh, a firmer understanding of how things should come out. Mm. And you can get these like, you can get these uh, completely, um, you know, medium rare. There's this expression called coast to coast yeah. where, you know, I, I'm a fan. Like, but you know, it, also a fan makes, of, like, it also makes it, it possible for small restaurants with like something the size of a sort of, you know, the smallest right. oven in the world. How are they going to do 60 covers of the perfect lamb chop or steak without kind of going through this process of sous vide? So if they can kiss it with a bit of heat at the end, you know, that's called sandbagging. Oh, that's, there you go. Sous vide is, sous vide is, is a sandbagging technique where, you know, you just, you know, you just get everything right and then finish it off at the end. Mm-hmm. And I, but I do like, like, I think that it's a technique that's foolproof for people to get the proper yeah. temperature. And now you have people are bu- people are buying these uh, temperature, you know, the, these uh, well, readers that you can. They're, they're affordable. You can All those gizmos and gadgets are like under a hundred bucks. You know, I mean, I, I, I was souving for a while, and now I use it to warm up the acid for my for my etching. <laughs> I make little oh, yeah. water baths for for the, yeah. the acid, and actually, so I, I, although then again, I broke it. <laughs> 
I think that, I'll be honest with you, I think the more people learn how to cook, it, it, here's what's interesting that happened in the United States. When I was younger, there were, PBS, they had the TV shows. They mm. had Jacques Pepin, they had, uh, they had the Frugal Gourmet, they had Julia Childs, and then they started to get like more, you know, they, they had uh, Yan Can Cook and more kind of like, all of a sudden it started to get a little bit more international. And then when the, and a lot of it was really good because the cooking in the United States was really, I mean, it was, it was, I, I really think that I think that the sociology behind cooking in the United States is fascinating because after I think that after the uh, after the, when the baby boomers started growing up and the, and the and the mothers weren't cooking as much and they were they were wanted easier ways for people to cook there wasn't this passing along of generations hmm. of, of eating there wasn't a pass there wasn't passing along the generations of cooking so by the time the Food Network came up. People were so starved for how to do this stuff; they just yeah. lapped it up. And but at the, at the same time, this incredible excess made—I mean, everyone is just so overweight; it's just insane. I, I, what I do like is these gadget, these gadgets, and these concepts to make good food taste better and make it easier to do. And because what it does is, like sous vide, I think is great for for the American to to use because all of a sudden it's going to teach you proper techniques to make better food. And I think if you make better food, you're going to make better choices. Yeah. I think that there's just, again, it's, it's experimentation, making making the fun a challenge. One of the things I wanted to almost do at one point, bringing that into it, was um, I kind of thought, right, let's ditch Christmas dinner some year. I think our friends, friends of the family told us about this. Let's choose the Christmas dinner from different parts of the world and every year we choose a different region of the world and use their Love Christmas it. dinner so we're going to go for Love a Polish it. Christmas dinner we're going to have carp this year then we're going to go to the Middle East and we're going to do a traditional I mean maybe they don't celebrate Christmas in the same way but let's use that that kind of time of year's traditional holiday feast you know so I, I think you, you can work uh, your way around your, the world if I can if I can just Pull my hand up, and mm. if you could pass on the, I would pass on the carp. I would, I would okay. maybe get pierogies instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. pierogies instead, but you could definitely pass. You can, the okay, carp. I mean, but you no, know where I'm going no, with this. I think the funny thing is, is that it. rather than everybody fighting over over how long the bird has been in the oven and is it ready yet, and by the way, there's great gizmos that beep on your phone now to tell you if it's cooked right. or not. But the the, I think it's back to the whole thing of like. Well, how the fuck are we going to do this? And what's it supposed to taste like? But hey, right. let's have some fun with it. Let's Google and chat and everybody's getting rolling their sleeves up and getting fun and stuck into the adventure as opposed to there's always going to be in every family. There's always a couple of people that become the, the official kind of cooks and they're left at it. And I think it's I mean, you know, what it used to be it used to be like maybe 20 years ago. Uh, there was a company in the United States called Butterball. That's where you got your when you got your turkey referred to as a Butterball turkey and that they had the pop up things that would go off in the press, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and they actually started a, a 1-800 line. They had a 1-800 telephone line that you could call. They'd have, they'd have lines open, lines open on, on Thanksgiving day. And if you had turkey <laughs> questions, you could call the 1-800 butterball line and then they'll tell you what to do. They'll help you out. Nowadays, I mean, you can just, I mean, you can't, I mean, everyone's got a, everyone's got a recipe now, which makes it great. But I just remember my mother one time was like, maybe I should call the butterball. Butterball line. I'm like, yeah, you should definitely. If you can't cook at all. <laughs> never you should definitely the call line. the butterball line. You could never. You should definitely call the butterball line because yeah, you can't please, cook at all. Please, no one called me on Christmas Day because they want to have cooking instructions. <laughs> Can you imagine? It has happened. It has happened. My dad. My Twenty dad minutes per pound. Eight. Yeah, one eight hundred. Call them my number. One eight hundred. Eat shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Call me. laughs> 
Don't call me. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can only imagine the last-minute phone calls you're probably getting. And I'm sure. I know for a fact. Yeah. No, that's that the beautiful thing is I, I'll, let, I'll let a phone call go to the machine. I'm sorry if anybody knows that. But I, I, not my mobile phone. But I'll always answer that. But, but on, on the landline, I'll never answer that because people are so trained to actually leave a, a, an order on the machine. In, in working hours, is somebody answering the phone. But, you know, but the funny thing is, on a farm, you have to answer your phone. My father will always right. answer the phone. So no matter what, Christmas Day, if a number comes up, because, hey, your, your cows have escaped or there's some, you know, right. there's always a reason to, to do that. But part of me is always like, oh, God, it's, you know, somebody hasn't got their delivery. <laughs> so do I really want to? But, you know, I think it's a noble thing my dad does. I very much admire that. You have to have had some good stories of some people calling up for asking how to cook this fucking ham. I don't know. I think it's an easy answer. I mean, it's just straight away. But the, the, the one thing is, I always want to tell people, you know, put it in water and low gentle boil or whatever, cook it. If it's a meat, if it whatever it is, I always want to tell them what to do with a temperature probe. And almost every time, 99% of the time, guaranteed, the person who's ringing up for instructions on how to cook something does not even know what a temperature probe is in respects to like a, 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 a probe, like the, the, the spike one. Now, which one is that? Is that now that's the one that has a spiky thing that goes into the thing and you can actually tell you the temperature? You know, and that's the it's kind the of... one I use to test the temperature of my child. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> one, one that goes up the old... <laughs> what did I see the other day? But I, I thought it was Ben and Jerry or something. There was some, some, it was, it's the, the, the Jeff Goldblum. Have you, seen, have you seen the series on Jeff Goldblum on Disney Plus who's, who's going into no. de detail on runners or bikes? Or he does ice cream. <laughs> ben and Jerry's were talking about temperatures. <laughs> I was saying, remember, temperatures, you know, they used to stick them up your ass. It is like... <laughs> And I'm kind of thinking you put a temperature probe under your armpit. I kind of forgot. And I think there, there is this case where you can actually get your temperature checked by sticking it in the top of your when ass. My, when, I was, when I was younger, my, my, I thought I had, my, my parents thought I had a fever. And my, my mother put the temperature, the thermometer in my mouth. And then my, my uncle and then my uncle said, is that the one? I was really hoping you were going to say she stuck it up your ass. But anyway. Well, I mean, when I was very young, he stuck it on my ass, and, and my dad had cows at the time. Yeah. And my uncle yeah. said, and my uncle said, oh, that's the one that goes up the cow's ass. Yes. Right? And I, and I, he's, uh, he's, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, that's I, the thing. Know, to answer any question for any cooking thing, a temperature probe can do everything for you. Is your bread cooked? Okay, you know, the temperature can be even something like that. You can knock the bottom for a sound, but, yeah, there's a temperature inside you know fish you, you probably need to just not cook it you know it's probably perfect don't overcook yeah. it but when it literally comes to anything to do with meat there's just a magic temperature time over temperature and don't rush it you know unless... i'm a i'm a fan of like i i used to use the i mean when i was in culinary school we learned the like if you make a fist based oh on how god tight, yeah you're gonna pinch based... your first finger your second finger and then no you no it's just no it's the muscle it's... It's the muscle between if you if you hold your thumb up and you make a tight fist between your thumb and your hand, yeah. you have that little muscle between your first finger and your thumb, yeah. and that's the temperature. If you pull that tight, that's medium rare. Yeah, and then if you touch your thumb to your pinky and then you press the same muscle, that's that's burnt to shit. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you what, when I was a kid, you know, it's interesting. Christmas to me is really great because my mother was Roman Catholic and my father was Jewish, but my father was like culturally Jewish. We never went to, we didn't know, a sh- we didn't know fucking anything about, uh, he couldn't speak any Hebrew. And I, I don't know, I, I probably, I don't know if mm. I told this story or not, but when he got married to his last wife, I was his best man mm. and they wanted to, and he, for some reason, wanted to have a rabbi there. And he, uh, the rabbi would ask him to speak at, would would asked him, you know, said, "All right, Benjamin, uh, repeat after me." And whatever the whatever the rabbi said, my dad was like, "Hold it!" Whatever he said, my dad didn't say it at all. It was like Chinese. He might as well say Chinese. And the problem was, was I mean, he never spoke Hebrew in his life. I mean, he grew up in the, you know as this identifying as being Jewish. He didn't he couldn't speak a lick of Hebrew, and he didn't even I mean nothing. And it was and I just couldn't stop laughing. And he was furious with me because I couldn't stop laughing. It was hilarious. You had snake so eyes. Growing up, <laughs> oh my god, it was hilarious. I mean, it was. So whatever he said, my dad didn't say it. He said something else. And it was just like, it made me laugh so hard. I, I laugh at that. I laugh. He was furious with me. But growing up, we, for some reason, we didn't have a lot of ham. I, my mother grew up in Connecticut, mm. and she grew up in this, you know, waspy family, and they ate ham and mayonnaise and all this stuff. But my dad was just like, you know, we don't eat ham. So we never had ham in the house. We had bacon. And my dad said, I, so I said to my that dad. That was a loophole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> this is how stupid my dad was. My dad was a really good barbecue. He made, he was awesome smoker. He, he smoked he smoked ribs and he smoked brisket. And he was really really good. He was really good, awesome cook. Mm. But I said to him, I'm like, how come we never have ham? He goes, well, we're Jews. We don't eat ham. I'm like, well, what about this fucking bacon? He's like, ah, oh, it's not. This is different. That's a different, completely different. I mean, that's not the same thing. I'm like, come on. I mean, come on, man. So I never had but ham. The, and, yeah, I often kind of bring this up in respects to to to. I don't know if I, I don't want to wind anybody up, but I think there is this thing where different cultures traditionally something came from. A, 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 a basis of perhaps safety. I mean, like the thing was... Yeah, trichinosis. To, yeah, trichinosis, but also like... I suppose pork was most likely going to spoil in the heat, hot countries and things like that. So it it, it makes sense. If you start telling people they're going to go to hell for not eating this food, it's going to cook them because they're not hanging it properly or they're letting it go off. It then, makes sense. And, mean, it, it, you know, it becomes Chinese whispers. And then next thing you know, it, it, you're going to go to hell for eating it. But, you know. It's a halal, too. I mean, you can't get pork, you can't get pork if you're Muslim. I mean, it, it makes sense. There's probably had to do Shellfish with was sickness. another thing. That's another one. Same thing, shellfish. Yeah. yeah. Red Tide. I mean, it was probably Red Tide. That's why you know Jews weren't eating shellfish. But also, it can also be yeah, the word. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think they, they, they do I, come from a certain place. Um, as in, hundred percent. Yeah, like walking under but ladders is also another one that you know. <laughs> it's a, well, it's just, so growing up, we I never really had ham, and then we got invited to a Christmas party, and they had this ham, and it looked amazing. It was glazed and it had the pineapple rings on it, and the in the maraschino cherries. It looked like something I'd never had before, and I was I was. I was probably like 10 or something like that. I was just like, yo, the forbidden fruit is here. And, and, and But it wasn't like I wasn't allowed to have it. It was just like we just didn't have it in the house. So I had no – but it looked so amazing. It was like that traditional ham. And I was like, I have to have some of this. I had it. And I was like, fucking, this is delicious. And I was eating plate after plate. And I was eating all the fat and I was eating the whole thing. I ate a shit ton of it. And I threw up. It was warm, and it was like, oh no, you od. I don't, you I don't think it was on, a, the, on, the, on the forbidden. Oh food. my god! And it was like it, you know what I'm talking about when you're talking about the springy. It was a fucking springy, and it was like the fat was like you know a little gelatinous and everything like that. And I ate a shit ton of it. And that night, I threw up my gut. I threw my guts up. I ate so much fucking ham. Yeah, and there's, there's really friends who there's since. friends whose kids came to stay with us, and they fell in love with the the raw milk on the farm. And oh. but the thing was, is there was always jugs of it, and they would drink 
like literally, I think they drank the equivalent of like liters because like this this amazing cold milk that was just so fresh and it was so rich. It's like it was basically, you know, the next step off of ice cream yeah. in respects that is full fat, you know. And uh, I remember there's the same thing. Like they they just drank this and they felt so bad afterwards because like they probably eaten the equivalent of like half a stick of butter on top of multiple liters. I, that reminds me when I was a kid, my dad would have these harvests of the the winery. He had these grape harvests, and then depending on you know. Wine, a lot of like natural wines, you're not adding sugar. You have the hmm. you know, the residual sugar is based on you know how if it's a really great summer, there's a not as much rain. Maybe a good, perfect amount of rain, but a lot of nice sun. And then the grapes are the vines are very the the more sun you get, the more concentrated hmm. the grapes become, and then the grapes become sweeter. And then you that's when you the sweeter the grape, you end up with a fruitier wine. But there's that's also the, the, the natural wines are also the variation on the on the natural yeasts, right? That's also the right. Yeah. Well, yeah, the natural yeast too but but the, the the idea is with wine is that's why a lot of uh that's why a lot of white wines from australia tend to be on the fruitier side if you look at wines like a sancerre uh save all a save all um or not a save all blanc say, uh like a uh you know like sancerres and sauvignon blancs and all those they're like a sweeter grape so we would press the grapes and then my dad would have you know, we'd be, he had these, you know, he would press all this grape juice and then he would give me a sip hmm. of the fresh grape juice. And it was like unbelievably good. And I just remember getting a fucking glass of it and just drinking. My dad said, don't drink too much. Hmm. And I said, why not? He's just like, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be a problem. Don't drink so much. <laughs> so I'm just like, what's the problem? I mean, what are you, I'm going to, I'm going to take How could something that tastes just, so good be a problem? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? What's the problem? I, what's this all natural fucking pressed grapes? I drank like probably like a quart of it. Yeah. Was it the stomach aches or did I you was, get the shits? I got both. I was like glued <laughs> to the toilet. I was glued to the toilet for the rest of the day. It is like the ultimate diuretic. Yeah. Oh, no, not diuretic. It's the ultimate. You are just like, it's called, that's where I, my dad said, oh, the kids got the trots. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to have the same the thing. We have, we have apple trees on the farm and uh, no, a couple of, like there's an orchard underneath, uh, uh, underneath the house, but, but next to the house. And um, yeah, eating too many apples is the exact same oh. thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Compl- I mean, but like you get like you get like a pint or a quart of like fresh grape juice. It is like instantaneous. I mean, it is like prepare, <laughs> prepare for, prepare, prepare for. The, you get the, terrible the, the cramps. Pen, the penguin run to the toilet. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, you know what? And then and then actually, so I didn't have a lot of you know he- baked hams at all growing up. I never. Have I you mean, ever, and, have and you ever tried after- a country ham? Which I haven't. You know, the American country like it's almost like an air dried. I got a. St- Perfect timing. I so when my my when my daughter was born, uh, I say three months later, my 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 wife's uh, biological father died, and it was terrible. But my one of her friends was at the time dating the uh, this famous this this these the Lee brothers. The Lee, one of the Lee brothers. Lee brothers are this. They wrote for the New York Times, and then they were very. They got taken up under the wing of Martha Stewart, and they do this uh, kind of southern food this kind of uh low country food charleston south carolina food they kind of mm. really do a nice job with embracing this kind of tradition and stuff like that so they had this company and they were they were selling boiled peanuts i guess that's a thing in the south boiled some parts of the south boiled peanuts i've heard of thing. it yeah no no, no. I, I think it's a very like a touchy subject too so like you can go to the side of the road and get like boiled peanuts in the shell and then i would imagine that it's very very similar to like 
edamame or something like that. Ah, it's now like I get you. Like so soggy. Yeah, okay, so it's kind of in I would the, imagine the it's exactly it's the same okay. thing. Right? Yeah, and then you're kind of like chewing them out and stuff. So they had air. They sold uh, air dried hams, and when when they I guess Hillary's. Hillary's friend said, "Oh, you know, he's her mom. Her dad just died, and I don't know what these guys. I don't really know him. I had dinner with them once, but one of them once, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was the nicest thing anyone ever done. But they just sold a whole fucking. They sold. They sent the whole leg, a whole leg, uh, air dried leg of 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 ham to us. And at the time, I mean, we were like, well, what are you? Yeah, doing? that's kind of an Irish thing as well. This? Yeah, you, you kind of to, help, to feed everybody morning or whatever. Well, you, no you, one was coming over. Okay. So it was just, so, so you can, you can, you could, you can, I guess, so it's an air dried. It's basically a giant prosciutto or a giant, a beer is it? I don't know, but isn't there a cooking process in the American style country ham? Well, you, I did a lot of research beforehand because I'm just like, I'm not going to boil this motherfucker. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to boil this thing. And then what, how, how the hell am my two of us can eat it, you know. So then, and then I had heard that you can just start make, just treat it like a a prosciutto. Yeah. So I just treated it like a prosciutto, and I was like, "But some people do." But like there is the, the majority of the time there is a cooking process, or there's an eat it raw process. Is there? There's a bit of uh, both, or is it nearly all I'm about the, eating it raw? I, I I'm under the impression that it could have gone either way. Okay. So what I could have done was I could have I could have soaked it in water, yeah. and then boiled it. I guess like rehydrate it or something and then cook it or you can just eat it as is yeah. so I'm just like well my wife ain't gonna eat this thing and this thing ain't gonna stay in the freezer so I just was like I had I ate the whole fucking thing over like a month <laughs> I ate the whole thing and then I was cutting hunks off and using it in stews and then I was you know roasting the bones and but it was like it was like it was like having a whole it was like they sent me a whole Iberico ham yeah. wow. it was awesome that is awesome and it's a beautiful thing I actually I'm, I'm very tempted to sort of try it because I've never tasted it but um yeah, I I'm surprised you don't do that. Uh, do you know what part of me is okay? So I I have experimented. And I have played around with it, and I find that I'd sooner approach simpler cuts like pancetta or copa to kind of cure an air right. dry because I think the leg comes from. Um, I, okay, well, first of all, I suppose there's so much demand for the salamis and and the sort of the fresh ham that we kind of make that you know why are we going to do the gamble because there is this thing about in in very wet humid Ireland. You just have to have one case where your hanging thing gets a little bit yeasty or sticky, and that flavor is never going to go away. It'll always slightly be in the background, you know, that little kind of mustiness, you know. So I think the thing is, is that that gamble that if you don't have a proper traditional curing room, or it isn't an intensely smoked ham, or you're not doing something like that to, to preserve it. So that's why it wasn't really done in Ireland. Ireland has this tradition of what they call hard curing which meant literally you put it into barrels of salt and you salted the shit out of it and you kept it and right. it went rock hard and then you did exactly what you said. You soaked the hell about it, you boiled it, you took the scum off the top, you changed the water, you boiled it again and that's how you made your meat last. Whereas you go to the continent, you have prosciutto and cured meats and hams and they have often a traditional process that kind of preserved it and, and actually they just nailed that over generations and, and over so much time. Whereas... I think if I ever got into it, I don't know how much I'd trust myself that they could consistently be good all the time. And you might have one every right. so often that wasn't. And then, you know, so I think that it was a gamble for me to, to and I don't, I didn't want that much of a headache. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to yeah, worry that imagine. much, but I needed to know how to do it. And I have done it over several occasions and I've had blow your mind moments and I've had, oh, uh, I just you know tried one piece and threw the whole thing out. It's like, that was just I got to tell you. 
when you sent me those those salamis, the trees and the salami, this kind of conversation, I wish I'd, I I had such a fucking hoarding stage with <laughs> and my 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 because I was just like I should have another bite, but I'm afraid that that's going to be the end of it, and I don't know what I'm. Gonna, I had the, and we don't eat a lot of meat, so when I have good stuff or I I, yeah, I cherish it, but like now I'm just like. Fuck, I wish I still had a little bit of that left. I, I can imagine that there's a lot of people in your immediate v- vicinity or, or saying the same thing. I'd like to know. I, I, yeah, little and often is a great thing about it. You know, that's what salami was kind of always about. You know, you didn't. it's not like a bar of chocolate. I mean, are you guys, right. can you open a bar of chocolate and just eat a square and then wrap it up again? Or are you uh, like, fuck We're it, you're eating a, the whole packet? We're all I, I, currently we are having a problem in our house because like Christmas, I mean we're all we're all doing a you know everyone in our, in the family is doing a good job. We're in a chocolate situation. Hillary found a few new chocolate. Well, that's companies okay. Dark chocolate's like, amazing. Seventy percent chocolate it. is good for you, man. Uh, and upwards, you know, like it's one we, of those things. Good dark chocolate. We had a fight. <laughs> we had a fight that we had a fight in the house. Wait, she she I, ate I, your I, chocolate, I, or you ate her chocolate? No, no. It was a fight. It was a fight on what's the best chocolate because oh, I'm now I've got some names that, for you. Because okay, so Kira, uh, my wife, she she has this obsession with chocolate, and there right. is this point where literally, when you get into chocolate. It's up there with coffee and good wine and everything else like this, this right. cacao from this place. And there's okay. a name. I cannot remember the name. of it. I'll send you the link. But I think I think it is South American or there's somebody doing something like we have um, Willie's Cacao is a friend of the family is actually kind of this is a connection. He is, is, is an interesting guy who, you know, when you, you started breaking down chocolate that this is Madagascar, this is from this place and that place. And you can taste the hazelnuts, you know, you can taste these flavors through it. And that comes from this dark chocolate profile. Like, literally, there's some. What, what's the? Is there the organoleptic things on 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 when you that there's? Isn't it? Coffee has the highest amount, and then you have beer, and then you have wine, and and but chocolate is, no is up there. I what you're talking about. The flavor no profiles, flavor about. profiles of dark oh, chocolate. Okay, okay. So okay. that if you actually like, you know, when you you cup you, you drink coffee, it's a coffee bean. But it tastes like cherries right. or it tastes like whatever. You get these other flavors. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, there is okay. chocolate now that you would have that literally is just the, the cacao and a certain amount of sugar. But it is a fucking adventure of flavor profile, you know, when you get into well, it. Well, we, kind of, we were kind of debating. I mean, my, my kid has become quite a, uh, quite a connoisseur of food these days. And she's like higher, the higher cacao percentage is for her. Like she likes 85, 90% dark chocolate and shit yeah, like that's that. Dark, and I, and I'm, yeah. I, I, I stay, I, you know, planted the flag and saying that, you know, sorry guys, but milk chocolate's where it's at. I mean, it's like, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can, I don't think it's kind of like how you need dark black coffee's tough. Black coffee can be tough. You need a little bit of milk in there to kind of bring it all out. So I'm a, I was, a, we were having this very intense conversation about, about chocolate in the house. And I was just like, ah, and then I, and then I used what my father used to say, you don't know what you're talking about, which things got my dad used to say, you don't know what you're talking about all the time. Yeah. And I might, I would, if I kept saying, you don't know what you're talking about growing up, I would never still be married to Hillary. There's just something no way, would be thrown at you, you at some point. Oh, dude, you can't say to someone, you can't say nothing. Chocolate, though. She's, he, she's, she's, 
is keeping the chocolate. Well, I th- I th- you can you can break out. You don't know what you're talking about on light issues, on like not you know consequential issues, but like you know fucking chocolate. I don't know what you're talking about, and you have to say it a little bit funny, and then they're not so they're not, it's not so abrasive. But uh, somebody was talking about chocolate, and they were saying that you know ninety percent chocolate's the only one they eat. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, I got I got some flew, of those pure but, like hundred percent, and all you can really do is just grate that stuff on your chocolate, your cocoa, or, and, your, or your coffee. So we are having chocolate. We're definitely having chocolate in our house this year. Every year, we just I, I basically whatever they want, and and it's fine. I mean, when I was younger, I actually after culinary school, my mother used to throw these parties, and she would have me do like a crown roast and you know roast this and the, the whole thing. Now it's like because it's, we're going to be very small. My kid said she wanted. It. She's really into like Italian gangster movies, like yeah. her. We we love she loves God she Goodfellas is her favorite movie which is like awesome and 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 uh, we Moonstruck we're gonna watch Moonstruck they like Moonstruck and so they want Italian food so we're actually gonna be doing uh, for uh, Christmas Eve we're gonna do the Feast of Seven Fishes you're gonna do you're gonna do a baking by Babbage version of it are you I don't, well so far we're up to four and a half fishes so <laughs> okay. we're trying to work we're trying to work we're not I'm not at a hundred percent I mean it's only three of us so I'm not a hundred percent sure we're gonna get to seven I'm more doing the best they can. We're gonna do Feast of Seven Fishes on Friday, which is coming out today. And then my kid, I asked her, I said, "Well, what do you want for?" And you know, she just went through uh, SATs and getting ready for college, really? and she and you know, she needed. So I said, "You choose whatever you want." She wants chicken parm, so we're gonna make. She wants chicken parm with linguine. So I'm like, "Okay, no problem." We're gonna have two Italian nights, two fake Italian nights. It'll be great. Oh, I have. So I got Feast one of those of four and a half fishes and a chicken parm. One of those. Um, I got very into before sort of the food thing got. Really really going i remember there was this amazing um blogging website i was into this photographer from switzerland i can't remember the name of the website now but he used to travel all over the world and one of these things he he he, he purchased for himself and I, I had to source it afterwards it's like a homemade sort of um pasta maker but it's like a right. sort of you you crank the handle on top and it's like a large syringe and the die is at the bottom so you make a, I think it's called a bibiolo or something like that. But basically you make a sort of a dry, a very dry pasta and you put it into this thing and you, you can get different dyes for the different shapes, but it, it makes a larger type of spaghetti. But it's the most Italian I've ever felt where we sort of made their own made our own spaghetti through this thing and I had to kind of make it into a seat and it's sort of two kids working the, the, the crank to kind of squeeze it out. But I, yeah, there is something about the, the, the it, it does... There's something about that, again that the family and the the cooking experience and the whole thing of making it fresh and and putting it through. I love it. It's interesting because my grandfather. What's interesting is is the the I'm learning more about my family. My grand my mother's father was uh, was sent to the United States because both his parents died in the Spanish flu. Okay. So he was sent to the United States the last pandemic. Mm. My grandfather was basically orphaned and sent to the United States. So he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have, if it wasn't for the pandemic, it wouldn't have been in the United States. Yeah. So he grew up, he was Italian, but then he kind of shook all of his Italianness, And then he ended up uh, going into, uh, he, he learned Spanish and ended up doing a lot of work with this, these exporters and importers in South America. 
America. So he lived in South America a lot. So he his Spanish was so good, people thought he was from Spain. Mm. But he was in you know Mexico City a lot, and so he we that's where we did. He used to make a lot of paellas. So growing up, when I would when I go to their house, he would make traditional stuff like crown roast and you know you know roasts and stuff like that, and lots of lamb. And but he never did Italian food. Like we he never I never once had Italian food from him. Like which which is crazy, and it was almost as if because I mean. Their last name was when he came to this country. His last name was San Giovanni, and they, they anglicized it to Saint John. But he—it's almost as if he completely sloughed off his, all of his Italian roots. So there was no—I never grew up having any Italian food in that house at Where's all. Feder from? So it was like we were eating paella. Feder is my grandfather on my father's side. The country was. Country-wise. Oh, Austria. Austria. Okay. He's, he was—he was a—he was, was a cellist, and his family came from my father's. My father's father was from Austria, and my father's mother was from Russia. There you go. My my, so my, my ancestor Austro-Hungarian on my mother's side. So there you go. That's yeah. <laughs> so, but at, at, once again, we have no. I have no. We had no. Growing up, my dad had no real. You know, he had no real roots. Mm. He had no real roots with like Austrian, you know, heritage at all. So, what's See, interesting strange, is my grandfather. Strange obsession with schnitzel. Schnitzel. I can't say schnitzel. I like. A, I love. I love <laughs> it all, man. I, you know, I tell you what. I tell you what. I, I'm desperate. You know, when when things get a little bit easier, I want to definitely go back to Europe, and you know, I, I want to see you, mm. and I want to go see Tomer, and and I want to see uh, Alex Pohl. We're gonna do something with him, and I I, I love oh, to go the to, ultimate to, road to trip, Austria, man. The ultimate road trip. Um, yeah, you see, the problem is, is I got we got too. It's too difficult for me to kind of go away for too long. Yeah. It's just it's one of those. But yeah, we well, try try doing it with five kids. I I, I kind oh, of feel I, I feel imagine. bad because that's the thing now where I'm like, it wouldn't be great. But the problem is, is that bringing kids on a holiday is a dose. I mean, like, I can't believe you have an hour and a half to talk to me on a podcast with five kids. Be honest, that's the perk of five kids here at home. You do, you know, oh, they, okay. they, they take care of themselves, you know, like, like they're beating the shit out of each other in a corner somewhere, but that's <laughs> fine. They're entertaining themselves. You know, the younger ones have got into rollerblades. We've just, we're, we're kind of close to finishing the extension onto the house and not fun building this, this time, <laughs> but, oh, we, no. but we got there and actually that's kind of the extension is kind of fun because there's, there's two more bedrooms, which means the friends can come and visit again. And stay with us. And we have like a, a kind of a games room, playroom kind of thing that's going to be at the end of that hole then. And that's kind of fun. But like the, it's a long hole because it was kind of to make it work. We had to build this corridor. So the kids are probably about to fucking kill themselves on rollerblades. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 the five-year-old is, is, is slowly gathering speed and, and, and like false confidence. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I love it. That's so, how you learn. So you... You got good presents for the kids for Christmas? Do they do they still believe in Santa Claus? Oh yeah, yeah. I I think that's kind of wonderful. Actually, one of the, one of the kids was asking me about, can I borrow your camera? I want to set up a camera to try and catch capture a video of Santa Claus. Fucking good. <laughs> and the other, that's awesome. And the elder one was like, no, no, no. Santa's magic is too strong, you know. And I was, I was like, good on you. The eldest son, of course, is don't look a fucking gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> this guy keeps showing up and giving me presents. Don't ruin this. <laughs> When I was a kid, my, my sister is 20 years older than me. So when she was younger, when my sister was young and I, before I was born, my uh, her mother answered the phone and then my dad was on the other line and pretended to be the Easter Bunny. And she, she said, I want to speak to Jenny, my sister Jenny. And Jenny, 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 it's the Easter Bunny's on the phone. She picks up the phone and my dad says, yeah, happy Easter, happy. And my sister freaked out. She's like, no, don't come. Don't come to the house. Lost her fucking mind. So when I was born, my mother got, my dad did the fucking same thing with, with, with Santa Claus. 
and my dad wasn't smart enough to say, hey, this didn't work before. I thought it was more like, let's give this a try. And then he he said, oh, you know what? Let's not do the phone. Let's not do the phone. He grabbed some bells and he stomped around downstairs. He goes, ho, ho, ho. And he's, and he's shaking the bells. I had a panic attack. I thought there was like a burglar in the house. I said, get him out of here. This is what? There's somebody in the house shaking bells and yelling ho, ho, ho. And it was, I was more, I was terrified and mortified. Yeah, my was, my was, kids are setting up bear traps. I know. Your kids are setting up bear traps. I'm thinking I'm about you know, abducted. Yes. Totally abducted. You could have got you know, ransacked. The, the, actually, you just remind me of just uh, the, the tooth fairy has to visit tonight as well. Because um, oh. my kid, one of the the the, the second eldest, Oscar. There's Olin, Oscar, you, and Devin, and Rowan. And Oscar's tooth was wobbly, and he he wanted me to kind of have a look at it last night. And my dad was the same thing. It was always the same time. And there's a wobbly tooth, but it's really starting to piss you off. But like, look how wobbly it is. And it was always that one time where you can feel how wobbly it is, and without saying anything, you just you just give it that little magic push, that little oh, nudge. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just had a look at it, that look of kind of like joy, fear. And anger that always comes at the exact same time from the child as they realize the tooth has just sort of magically landed on their tongue. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I have uh, the tooth fairy must visit tonight. Um, the tooth fairy is the best because actually my kid had a loose tooth and we tied a string around it. Oh, you did the, the door slam? Well, no, we, we did. We did. She saw a video when she was very young where they tied it to a dog. Mm. And she ended up tying, she tie, and then the dog runs off, and then it pulls. She 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 tied it to the collar of the cat, okay. and the cat just started rolling slowly. So my kid was like, fall, fall. Uh, uh. She's like, kind of like the cat was not like running off and pulling the tooth out. So I had to like catch the cat, yeah. grab the string, and I turned to my kid. I'm like, all right, on three, I'm gonna pull it. Okay, Are you ready? I'm gonna pull it out on three. So I'm holding the string, and I'm like, I'm gonna pull it. And I said, count to three. And she goes one. Two, I pulled it on two. Yeah. I pulled it like a lawnmower. <laughs> like I told her, like I like was starting a lawnmower, and she was, she's like, and it, oh, you can hear this little, this little, yeah, and it just came right out, and she was like, she's like, but you didn't wait till three. I'm like, it's out. Don't yeah, worry yeah. about that. This is where you realize you tied it around the wrong tooth. No. Yeah, well, she tied it like very <laughs> tight around, like kind of like where the uh, where the roots were. Yeah, yeah. So there was no un, there was no untying. It was like this is coming out now. You can't get yeah, yeah. You can't get That's, the, the string anymore. But the, this, but the same the same child things. I was talking about earlier on Oscar the the bear trap um, Santa Claus camera. It's the same one who, at a very young age, got a bag of flour because he wanted to capture the footprints as it came through the door, oh, which yeah. sucks on a hessian carpet floor. <laughs> you know what? I have a terrible... You know, I was thinking about, like, I was thinking about stories that I'd heard, and we were actually, years ago, when I was at the Center for Mental Arts and we were making railings, we were making this railing at this beautiful home in Tuxedo Park, which is outside of New York, and this is really kind of posh, posh community. And we were talking to a contractor who said that... This contractor wanted to make the, these kids feel like Santa Claus was in the house. So he took some of the ashes from the fireplace and put it on the doorstep and then kind of walked in it so it looked like the the footsteps hit from Santa Claus. Well, there was an ember. There was an ember on there. And the whole, oh, goddamn, no. the whole goddamn house caught on fire. Oh, shit. Burned the house to the fucking ground. Oh, no. Trying to do something nice for fucking these kids. And it was like, I mean, can you imagine? How do you explain something like yeah. that? It's crazy. <laughs>
Well, so this is it. This is Christmas time. I want to wish you. Do you have any words of love and brotherhood to send? To, we didn't talk about knife making at all. I was, I, and, and we didn't answer any of the, the listener questions, which is perfectly fine by me. <laughs> yeah. It was always good to talk to you. Have any? You have any last minute words to say to to people for Christmas? Oh no, I just love you guys. Thank you so much. Um, I think that Christmas, yeah, just take that one moment to just sit back and appreciate what's around you. I mean, like despite everything, you know, we're all lucky in our own way and just take that moment to breathe that in. And um, yeah, just. I was talking to my wife about it and I was saying how lucky I am and how appreciative I am of, of, of creating friendships outside of, you know, my local area Hmm. and how social The world is a smaller place and it's beautiful for that. It's, I love that. I love the fact that I can talk to you in Ireland or talk to Craig in France or talk to my friends. You know, I talked to Mert down in, in Australia. And it is it is one of those things that, you know, people talk about how social media, this, that, the other thing. This knife-making community has been such a blessing because it is, you do, you, all of a sudden, it's, I, I got a message from a guy from Mozambique from Knife Talk saying, I'm your first listener from Mozambique. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. We talked to guys from the Philippines and it, I really appreciate this community and I, I just want to send out, you know, I, I like to talk some shit a lot, but I really do appreciate uh, the people that I've been able to meet and connect with and especially f- making friends with guys like you and, and, you you know, I, I'm a very appreciative right yeah. now. I'm a very appreciative and, and um, no, it is it is magical. Like the friendships that we make are like just yeah, they're it's great. It is beautiful. I mean, I get like I I, I get I, I get my ball. But Tomer breaks my balls about the Knicks. The Knicks are like <laughs> tanking. Like you, well, that's a sports thing, really. isn't it? Yeah, you, you're never gonna yeah, you're never gonna ring me up and talk about sports. That's for sure. No, 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 no. I mean, I get like I get my balls broken from from all sides of the country, all sides of the world. It's the best. I love it. I love it. So, with that said, Fingal Ferguson, I wish you a Merry Christmas. You're my friend. I'm so glad to know you. You're just terrific, and you're you're uh, you're just a you're just a great guy, and and, I, and I'm really honored to know you. And awesome. I just wish Man, thank you for everything for and for all the, this, this entire year of entertainment and encouragement and uh, yeah. yeah no you, you guys are doing amazing things we love hearing your your voices every Monday and Friday dude how good was the all beef review come that on that was good actually was I'm only funny. halfway through I got this week I, I got uh, distracted I'm, uh, I'm, I'm only, I'm a, I tell you what I've been, I've, normally I'm listening to it on Monday but this one I had to, I had to stash it that was yeah do you know what? I sent a message to Craig. I said, you know what? You've gotten funnier over the years. And oh, I'd be back. Craig, yeah, I'm Craig fucking Craig hilarious. He's absolutely gone. amazing. He, Dude, he was, I mean, I've only got to the point where he's, 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 his wife, I'm sure. I don't know if she's going to listen to that episode. Don't, just don't say another word. Don't say another word. I was worried about that too. She, he's, I said to him, I said, you know, you've, over the years, you've gotten funnier. And he goes, oh, I'm fucking hilarious. I'm just relaxed now. And I'm like, all right, take it easy. Take it easy, Don Rickles. You're all right. It's fine. But he's, it's, I'm very grateful to him and Morocco. Yeah, he's working his ass off. Actually, yeah, you guys all work your ass off. And we all know that the, the, what you put into the podcast is, is extracurricular hours that you'd normally be, you know, doing or catching uh, we, up with everything yeah. else you do. Um, so it's, definitely looking forward to, to seeing all the magical things in 22. Are you looking forward to 22? I mean, the, I am looking forward to 22. Yeah. I actually have a, I have a, I have a, a interview that I'm going to do this coming week that I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be a special, uh, special one I can't really talk about. But I'm looking for. I'm looking forward. To, I, I'm optim. Ultimately, yeah. I sound like I'm a pessimist, but I'm ultimately optimistic. I think that uh, you know, I think that this podcast was meant to be something to take people's minds off of what's going on in the world. Yeah. You don't really talk about politics. You don't really talk about. It, it was like to kind of. I remember listening to radio and 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 when I was 
you know, when I was in bad times, like when I was, when I was alone, I mean, growing up, I was a latchkey kid. I was alone. The radio was my companion Hmm. and I really understood and appreciated what that does for someone. Did you ever, did you ever listen to, to kind of things as you're kind of going to sleep? Was it like that? You kind of, I had this funny thing. I remember my teenage years, music made me go to sleep. I almost had to have music in the background and and constantly, it was always that sort of thing for me. Maybe not like, I think music is an interesting thing, isn't it? That respect, like the, my the, the music I inherited from my parents, you know, the the Tom Waits and the you know the the traveling Wilburys and the sort of the Rolling Stones and all these things. You kind of you know the there's an element of that, but the the emotions that music gets. And I think like I I was never, I mean Christmas carols and all those kind of things, everything that embarks that. But I, I just think that music plays such an important role in the whole thing. And I think that the spoken word is something. That's kind of interesting. I, I wish I could open myself up more to it. I can't actually, and I haven't yet found things beyond your podcasts. And, and actually, Toby uh-huh. Farnsteel, and the, there's a few other magical ones out there. They do a good job, too. Mm. They do a good job, too. Toby's doing a nice job with honor. Yeah. Um, I, I, for me, it was, it was like, it kept me... It kept me company and it kept me from being homesick in my own home. Mm. Like I'd get homesick in my own home and radio and hearing familiar voices kind of kept me from that homesick feeling. And, and, and I appreciate it. And this has been one of those things. And I've gotten a lot of nice messages over the, this past year, especially from people for both Knife Talk and Full Blast podcasts. And it's been really like it has been I'm not a very sentimental guy but I do appreciate all the kind words people have been saying and you know I understand I, I, I've been in some low places and I could have just needed someone to hear and I actually had some moments where I've had some people in really kind of tough spots mm. and I've they've given me their phone number I've given them a call and we've had nice conversations and I, I appreciate the listeners of these podcasts and, and I'm looking forward to 2022 and being more positive and hopefully you know things are going to get on our way but all, we're all together here and this is a wonderful community and in the spirit of Christmas yeah fucking PMA man PMA positive mental attitude that's it you know what ultimately you know I, I make a lot of jokes, but I mean, you, you know, that's the the key. You got to you got to one step in front of the other, and, yeah. and you know, get yourself on the right foot. Get yourself on the right foot for twenty twenty two. Clean your shop. I would say, if I were to say one thing to everybody, it would be clean your shop before <laughs> the end of the year. Yes. Clean your shop before the end of the year, and then go into twenty twenty two with a clean shop and a clean. Daddy mind. likes a clean space. So, there you go, <laughs> Fingal Ferguson, ladies and germs. You know, you're following him. He's got the blue check mark. <laughs> He's got the blue check mark. Go get yourself that book go get gabine g-u-b-b-e-e-n it's still on amazon and you know support this guy because it is a great book and it, you you realize what kind of wonderful mental patient thing you are <laughs> yes. and i would <laughs> I, I, I wish i fucking mad as a true. i mean you're fine i mean you're 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 the most wonderful mental patient of all time and i merry christmas to you fingal and merry christmas to the listener bye see you later everybody happy uh, new year The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots, with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe.
If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.